This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Guido's Pizza. Located on International Airport Road in Anchorage, Guido's has been serving the best pizza, pasta, sandwiches, and more since 1984. Guido's is open daily for dine-in service from 11 a.m. to midnight, and they do takeout and delivery until 2 a.m. Whether I'm dining in at Guido's or ordering for delivery, the hardest part for me is always choosing what to get because they have so many amazing items on their menu. If you're looking for a quick bite or want to order food for a big party, Guido's is the place to go. Tell them Jeff from the Landmine sent you. Okay, back here in studio with uh, my buddy, my man, Andrew Halcrow. How are you doing? Mr. Jeff Landfield, it is a pleasure to see you again, my friend. I think it's been about, it's almost been two years since I've, I, I've, I've graced this illustrious studio We, we did the uh, Christmas special That's right. a year or two ago. Remember you made us drinks and you, you made brought, your drinks. brought the uh, vodka and the special the mixer. Cranberry juice or something. It yes. was really good. Yeah, it was good. We have a little yeah. bar down there. You that's a, took that's the last time I made that drink. Now, you have your own podcast, which we're going to talk about, but, but yes. um, you're on my pod- podcast, and I want to talk about something really— Okay, so, so, so w- this is important. Um, I want you to confirm uh, to your listeners that I am an invited guest on your podcast. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, I've had you on before. I love having you on. You're All right. one Excellent. of my go-tos. But before we get into that, you asked me about— um, Yeah, so tell me, um, uh, Jeff Landfield, as you sit here today, uh, you are minus one uh, appendix. So I tell am- me about that. So uh, this is Friday, so a week ago, basically, this, this time a week ago, I was going to Providence. I woke up Thursday morning early, like 5 a.m. I, I was like woken up with this horrible stomach ache, and I thought I had like a stomach bug or a stomach, you know, something going around. You've had that before where you just have like a really bad stomach ache, and it goes away in you know, a day or two. So, but it was, so, it was so bad that I just basically lay down all day. And, you know, it kind of hurt when I'd, when I'd move and... I was like, God, this sucks. You know, this is really, this is bad. But I was going to the Uncle Ted play that night. I had tickets. Um, I got invited by Suzanne Cunningham. Alieska had like a special show or whatever. You, you, you go yeah, see that play? Yeah. yeah. You, you no, I have not seen it, so but I good. know about it. Yeah. So good. I mean, glad I went. So I got, kind of got myself out of bed. My friend, two of my friends were going. I felt a little bit better, you know, so I wasn't in like the bad pain. And I went to it and I wasn't in horrible pain, but it was still uncomfortable. That was Thursday night. I go home get on the couch, watch a movie. It started to hurt again and it got, you know, worse. And I woke up Friday morning with, with more pain than I had on Thursday. And again, I just laid in bed most of the day, but I had to get uh, Brad Keithley's weekly column up and there was an op-ed I had to get up and there was a few things I had to like some invoicing. And so I come in here and I'm doing that. But by that point, the pain had shifted to my right lower quadrant. And I, I was starting to think, man, if I have appendicitis, I, I, I probably don't, you know, but it's 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 not worth ignoring because you know if it bursts you, you hear these stories people get very very sick and yeah. you could you could even you die, die from it you know if, if you don't get it treated so I drive to Providence around three thirty on Friday it's basically almost a week ago to the I mean, we're recording at two thirty on a Friday so I get there it's full it's Friday the thirteenth completely full ER I check in by the way like they ask you if you have a gun now before you you know that if you go and they say are you armed before you can even get in I go no I'm not I'm sick. It actually was painful for me to walk from my car to the, it was, I was to the point where I was in like pain, even walking. So I get uh, admitted, I don't know if it's a COVID thing now, but it's all fucking glass. Everything's behind glass and you have like microphones where you talk like, like you're like, you're at a bank or something, you know? Like, yeah. Like you're visiting somebody in prison. Yes. It's like yeah. that. They have a mic and they talk to you and it's kind of like, doesn't really, I like that 
feeling invited in the hospital, yeah. you know, you're sick. But so then they, I wait for a while. I get blood drawn. I wait longer. I get my vitals. I texted, I called Dr. Brian Sweeney. I don't know if you know him. He used to write for the ADN a lot. He writes for Landmine. He's a gastroenterologist. Mm -hmm. And he came and actually saw me and said I passed the eye test, which I guess meant I, I didn't look like I was like dying. And I was in there for about two hours waiting. And I finally get called back. And by this point, I was in like fucking pain. I mean, I was in actual like, it hurt. It was actually, I walked to the room, the, to the uh, ER room, but it was like, I was not walking fast. I was kind of holding my stomach and, just walking very, because every time I'd move a little bit, it would hurt. And I get in there, I lay, I'm so happy to be laying down because it, it hurt so bad in the ER. I couldn't, I actually couldn't sit down anymore. I had to stand up and I was like leaning over some table, just like bending over, just trying to, you know, relieve the pain. And then I wait there for a little bit. I go back, they give me a CT scan. They inject you with something called contrast, I guess, so they can more easily see what's going on. And they have an IV. And the guy's like, don't worry, you're going to feel like you're pissing yourself. You're not pissing yourself. I go... What? So when I'm on there, he's talking to me in the you know microphone. He goes, "I'm going to do the contrast." Totally felt like I was pissing myself. This very warm feeling in that region. I guess it's an effect. And so I go back to the room. I wait like another thirty or forty minutes. Doctor comes in. Doctor Emily Junk's her name. She's the ER doctor. Great doctor. Very nice. Very attentive. Uh, and basically, she's like, "Yeah, I got appendicitis. It's coming out. You need surgery." Yeah. And it was. I said, "How do you know?" She goes, "Well, it's double the size it should be, and your pain, everything, like you know." matches up so i was i was in there by about 10 then this dr uhas guy came in looked, looked, about, looked about my age i was a little bit like i mean how, how many have you fucking done he's like <laughs> he goes 700 i go okay <laughs> he's military too he's in there major in the air force so he basically told me he's like you know i go what, what, what are we dealing with and he says well if it's perforated if it's ruptured um you might be in the hospital for a little bit could be a couple days i've talked to friends who have had their births they, one guy was in for two weeks because if it bursts, you know, you get all this bacteria. Yeah, in your, absolutely. In, you're yeah. not supposed to have bacteria in your gut. So he tells me there's a chance I'd wake up with a, with a drain if it burst, and, and they they want to drain it out. And I'm like, oh my god. So I just said, okay, let's. You know, I was in. I was in. My buddy, you know, Bryce. You know, Bryce. Yeah. Bryce yeah, came yeah. by and saw me, and I was in the OR by about 10 p.m. that night. And you know, you get surgery. If you had surgery, you know, they they put the mask on and they kind of talking to you, and all of a sudden, bam, you're up. It's like time travel. Yeah. And I wake up in the recovery and I'm babbling about it. They gave me this dilated stuff in the before I went into the OR. It's uh, this is very strong opioid, ten times more powerful than morphine. And I was on cloud fucking nine. Wow. This this is like the good stuff. <laughs> but I woke up and I, you know, I'm on this whatever fentanyl and propofol and I'm kind of coming out of it. And it was amazing. I, I felt immediate relief. I mean, I didn't I, I was in I had like pain around the incisions. It was laparoscopic, so there's four incisions. I had that kind of like pain. But but the pain, the original pain was totally gone, like like yeah. incredible. So I wake up and and um they said there wasn't perforated, it was gangrenous, which means it was probably close to bursting. Um there was no drain. Um I get wheeled into a hospital room at Providence, and the next morning a doctor came in and he's like, "You look good, you know. You, if you can eat food, you can you can." I was home the next day. So I got lucky because you know people they burst, and I've heard stories of people being in the hospital for five days, a week, two yeah. weeks. It's it's, it's no, that, I mean it, it, when your appendix bursts, I mean like you said, you're you're releasing all those toxins into your body, um, and I had the same thing happen yeah, thirty years ago. I oh, mean, really? I, well, yeah, but Saturday afternoon, I'm out mowing the lawn at like one o'clock, about four o'clock. I just you know get this intense pain. I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's a gut thing. Maybe I pulled a muscle or something. You know, so you were like in your twenties. 
1995. I was 30, 31. Yeah, I'm 38. Uh, so it, yeah, so it usually I was, happens to younger people. It can happen. It yeah, can happen to anybody. I was 31. So, so you know, laid down, took a night. I woke up at eight o'clock at night, and the pain was so intense. I was like, okay, this is not. This is not a flu bug. And sure enough, I mean, four hours later, I was on the table. I had my appendix out. And and that's the challenge. Is you, you know, you 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 have these situations, and we're all different when it comes to our bodies, and we all interpretate uh, interpret pain differently. And so you know, you had that immediate pain, and you're like, all right, man, I'm just going to work through it. Right, I'm going to be a warrior. And the challenge is, as you said, the longer you think it's going to, you know, it'll subside tomorrow like a flu bug or a stomach, a stomach bug. Um, it doesn't. It just gets worse. Mm-hmm. And so you really risk the, that. So it was good that, that you went in. And, and man, when you get that kind of pain that you'd never felt before, that you know is just doesn't go away, that's your first sign, man. Because if your appendix bursts, you said people die. Well, I asked a doctor, I said, see, he told me his great-great-grandfather died of appendicitis. I said, what happened hundreds of years ago? And he said people would either die or sometimes it would, like, get so large that, that it would actually break through the stomach yeah. and drain out. So it's not, not that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die if it bursts and it's not treated, but you're probably going to, you know, very likely going to get very sick. But now it's just incredible. I mean, I was out. The, were you in overnight, or were you in for? Did you um, burst? I, I, yeah, uh, no, it didn't. They took it out, um, and I think I was out of the hospital the next day or two. I mean, I was only in. For Did it hear like Providence hours. or Regional? yeah, Providence, Providence. I love Providence. Me too. Providence is a good hospital. Um, and, you know, it's getting tough. You know, I don't think anybody likes to go to the ER. Um, you know, 30 years ago when this happened to me at 8 o'clock at night, I walk right in. There was nobody in the waiting room. Today, as you said, you've got an hour, hour and a half wait. So there's far more people utilizing the emergency room at Providence. And, you know, that's why you see, you know, I believe that's why you see the protections you do because, yeah, a lot of people in and out of there all day long. There was a guy in there. He, he rushed in with his buddy. I don't know where he was, if he was on Goose Lake or what, but he, he was underwater for a few minutes, and then the guy was clearly, like, hypothermic. Uh, his buddy had done CPR. I think they tried to call the ambulance, but he decided to bring him in. And, and then some other lady was brought in on, like, a gurney, you know, with the paramedics. She was clearly drunk or on drugs or both, and she passed out on the floor, and they finally put her in a chair, and she got she passed out in the chair and got stuck in the, got, like, stuck in the arm of the chair, and that was going on. And then there was other guy who was, like, he was going through withdrawal. His girlfriend was, like, screaming about he's, like, withdrawing, and he's... It was just like surreal. And then some lady was screaming at the, the front desk guy for not, somebody wasn't wearing a mask. And I'm just, I'm just like, normally I would have <clears throat> said something, but I was in so much fucking pain. <laughs> I, just, I just had like. The one time Jeff Landfield bites his tongue. Oh yeah, no. I, <laughs> you were due for an appendix. And I, want, I, want, I, I wrote this in my Sunday column. I, you know, Brian Sweeney came by and, you know, he gave me, reassured me a little bit. And he actually came by in the morning to check on me. And then I called Dr. I, in my picture I posted, Dr. Ann Zink commented. And I had a few people saying, God damn, you have Ann Zink commenting on your posts? Like, who are you? And then I called her. doctor of all doctors. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I called her, and she, you know, talked me through a few things and, and, you know, really really, But it's it's scary. I mean, it's even though it's routine, it's the most common surgery in the country. And the pain itself. The pain itself is so piercing and so overwhelming. It just just totally dulls every other sense your body Mm -hmm. has. I mean, all you can – the only thing you can do is just – focus on on just trying to mind meld the pain away and it's just not possible and, and, and i was uh you know obviously I, I knew there was probably that but i was like is it can't i mean do i have can't i mean you think of all these like crazy yeah. thoughts like what else could it be and and then finally when you find out what it is you're a little bit you know relieved but you know dr zinc was cool and um brace came and saw you know i had all these people texting me and you know calling me and offering right. to help which was really nice but yeah it's scary i mean yeah, it's it a week is. later and i'm i feel i mean i've got those little scars that are yeah. Go away, and I have a post op next Wednesday. But excellent, you uh, look good. You look great. We, we, we thank you. We live yeah. in a we live in a good pl- and, time in the world where we can 
there's a lot of problems out there, but I mean, I was reading this article about um, Rockefeller, and it was Warren Buffett was talking about how you know Rockefeller, hundred years, whatever, had more money than anybody. He had all the, but but like even the person who's like the worst off in the world right now has more access to information than Rock has more access to like health, you know, drugs, medicine, you know, antibiotics, all these. I mean, we're just you know, it's all the things that are going on in the world. There's a lot going on, and it's bad, but there's also a lot of, and we're living in literally the best time in the history yeah. of the world when it comes to technology and, and information and, and, and medicine. And medicine. And, and, and then when you talk about technology, you also have to talk about the people that deliver that, right? I mean, think about your experience in the emergency room and think about all those doctors and nurses buzzing around and the different types of people and problems. I mean, I remember the last time I was in there for, you know, what was seeing somebody else. But you go back into that emergency room and it, it is chaotic. Oh, yeah. And you think about putting in, you know, some of those nurses are on their feet 12, 14 hours a day. And you think about putting in 14-hour shift where, you know, there were, you know, serious injuries, you know, mental health injuries. I mean, the emergency rooms in in everywhere in this country have now become kind of almost the uh, depository for Anybody, you know, including those with mental health issues. And if you're a nurse, I mean, there's certain things that, you, you know, the, the, the hospital is a, as an emergency technician, you're just not capable of, of, of handling. Meanwhile, you're surrounded by a bunch of people that have some serious stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's become kind of like the triage for people that don't have insurance. We, we know yep. about that. And, yep. and, and it's, it's, um, and, and that's the point that needs to be made. You know, when you talk about Providence, I mean, you know, th- they are a nonprofit hospital and people, you know, people have their opinions about the hospital, but you know, the amount of uninsured care that, 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 uh, that, that Providence writes off every year is stunning. People who come in, have services, can't pay. Um, and it's, it, it's really, I mean, it's a tough business well, they, model. They Man, anybody even, in healthcare today, I don't know how they do it. They didn't even ask for my insurance stuff until I was well. I, was in, yep. I mean, I was sitting down and laying down in the bed, and this was maybe after I'd even, I think it was after they had decided I needed surgery. Somebody came by and um, I checked in, obviously, but they wanted my like information, more information, my insurance card. I gave it to them, but I mean, at that point, even if I had no insurance, I, I know they would have still, I would have, I probably had a big Absolutely. bill, and you got to pay, and you know, and that's just it, right? They have to deliver the service. They cannot, by law, turn you away. So they have to provide the the, the, the service, whether you have coverage or not, because they are a nonprofit mm-hmm. hospital. And so, you know, that's the thing a lot of folks don't don't understand is. You know, if you're a provider of the service, not only are you providing a service which is incredibly difficult, expensive, and, you know, laborious uh, to improve people's health and to address their health concerns, but then at the back end, the, the business, the back, the back uh, you know, the, the back end of the store, the business part of it is very tough because, you know, you have a lot of people that show up for no, you know, for no per, uh, you know, fault of their own in the emergency room and somebody's got to tend to them and then somebody has to pay the cost of that. And so that's why I think people... You know, there needs to be a clear understanding that, you know, in Providence's cases, I mean, they write off a significant amount of money every year for people who yeah. show up in the emergency room and can't pay. Well, I was just, like I said, I was so happy that everybody, I, I mean, I didn't have one negative interaction from the first person I checked in with to the ER doc, to the nurses, to the surgeon, to the recovering nurse. I mean, everybody was so, you know, nice, and I really felt like they were, you know, taking care of me. So and I'm very just fortunate that I went in and didn't wait, because I think a lot of people, especially men, I think, I'm tough, I'm, I'm a... Yeah, fucking uh, be fine. Yeah, you're an Alaskan. And, yeah, <laughs> I used to always worry about. Um, I don't have to worry about it anymore if that happened. Like if I were to wake up on a camping trip in like the backcountry with that pain, I don't know what. I, I mean, you got to call a helicopter, I guess. And then a lot of people yeah. feel like I'm not gonna. 
you don't you don't want to be the guy who's like pitching out and then you have like gas or something, you know, well, if you call well, a helicopter. Well, and, one of my favorite comedians of all time, as a matter of fact, he, he was at the state fair years ago, um, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, yeah. I like Jim Gaffigan was on a trip. I think he was in the Denali Park. He had come up to do the, the he talks about this in his one of his stand up episodes. He'd come up to do the Alaska State Fair. Then he and his family extended and, you know, went out to rural Alaska. He had his appendicitis. He had a, a, a an attack. He had to have a helicopter come out to rural Alaska. I can't. I think it was at Denali. Pick him up and bring him back into town to Providence. And he ended up having his um, appendix removed. And he makes he does at his Providence. Whole, yeah, at Providence. He does his whole bit where he's where he talks about. And of course, Jim Gaffigan as a comedian is famous for talking about food, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, so he gets in this he gets in this helicopter and he goes to Providence and they take his uh, appendix out and he wakes up and the doctor's name was Doctor Muffaletta. <laughs> and 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 he says, and you know, I woke up, Muffaletta. and this doctor's name is Doctor Muffaletta, and that's also the name of a very delicious sandwich, <laughs> you know, which is true, which is fabulous. But I mean, that that whole thing happened, and so if you think if you live in rural Alaska and you have an appendectomy, I mean, there you go. There's well, your, I was there's your a, Medicaid. Flight I was talking your to your a friend flight. about what if you're living in a place like in like Western Alaska where there's like or Southeast where it's like weather, you can't yeah. get out. I mean, I don't know yeah. what they. Maybe you just have to wait. You know, there's times yeah. in Juneau where people can't get out for days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's parts of Southeast and rural Alaska where, I mean, if it's that King Cove, it's how the whole road is, you know, that's so yeah. important to people about being able to get out of there. Yeah. Um, isolation, man. Isolation. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm glad I was, I was Googling, yeah. I was Googling like a fury. Um, you don't need the fucking thing. I mean, there's, there's some theories about when you're a kid, maybe with immune system stuff, but yeah. it's pretty clear you don't need it. So yeah, right. I'm just glad mine's yeah. finally, finally I, I, gone. I think the, um, the doctor who took mine out, um, kind of referred it to when you build a model as a kid and you have those exos, kind of an exoskeleton left, right. Of pieces you've broken out and your, your appendix is one of those things that you could just, just discard, t- it. discard it. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. And, now I want to talk about the reason you're here. Dun, um, dun, dun. What, what is going So you got some all right. From, from, so, so, from, so let me let me and, and I know you're the host of this podcast, and I know I'm a guest. But uh, given the the situation that I currently find myself under from a legal standpoint, I need to be very careful about what I say, and I need to structure this conversation in a way that um, your listeners will clearly understand what's happening, but yet protects the core uh, of this situation that I take very seriously, and I need to address between myself and the attorney. Okay, so if you don't mind, I'd like to start by kind of the fifty thousand foot level, and then I'm going to bring you into the conversation. Okay, so here's the story. You're 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 a pro podcaster. You know how this goes. Here's the story, right? So last Saturday uh, there was a knock on my or last Sunday last Sunday there was a knock on my door, and a neighbor had brought over a piece of mail that was addressed to me, but it had the wrong physical address. Okay, addressed to Andrew Halcrow. I like where this is starting. Right? Yeah, no, it gets far better or worse, depending on your opinion. The letter has my name, the wrong address. And I notice in the corner, the return address is an attorney that I instantly recognize, right? So I'm thinking to myself, the first thought is, okay, I could throw this letter away and say I never received it, right? Clearly written to them. But I, well, you know me, I'm not going to do that. So I open it up, and it is a letter from a well-known attorney who uh, is accusing me on behalf of his client of defaming them during a recent podcast, okay? So the letter is laid out like this. Uh, The first part is, uh, this is what you've done 
and these are my, uh, my, uh, my accusations, my claims, my specific claims. The, the second part was all of the case law that backed up his arguments. And then the third component was a, jet, it was a get out of jail free card, right? The third was a proposed remedy where he said, if you do this, then we can both walk away and pretend this unpleasantness never happens, okay? So that was the structure of the letter, right? First, sent to the wrong address. Then provides me some, some says I says some awful things, and then says, in two weeks, you have to decide to do this or I'm going to sue you. So bizarre. Okay? So bizarre. So bizarre. All right. Now. I got to say, I've, I've, I've been threatened to be sued many times. I was sent a letter like that, um... A couple of years ago during the mask mandate stuff. We remember the picture Paxton yeah. took of the guy with yep. the Star of Dave and he was pointing at Forrest Dunbar, the famous kind of went viral like internationally. Yeah. This guy his name was named Skip Myers. He had some weird law firm in Washington State send me a letter saying cease and desist, remove the image, apologize, all this bullshit, similar kind of thing, bullshit. We won't sue you. So I just said, Well, fuck this guy. I took the letter. I mean, I did call my lawyer because yep. you always want to, but most times I've learned that ninety nine percent of the time these people just even if they send you a letter, it's like they're threatening you, they want to scare you. Yep. I just took the letter, uh, took a picture of it, and then I took more photographs of the guy, and I said, "Here's my fucking answer, <laughs> fuck you," you know. And then I never, heard, you know, nothing ever happened. But so, 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 so uh, um, it, that was my immediate, that was my immediate response when I read the letter and went through and kind of reconciled. You know, you, I've opened letters from lawyers before and read them and taken a deep breath and thought, okay maybe there's some oxygen mm-hmm. here, right? But this was a letter I opened up and said to myself, are you fucking kidding me? Now, you didn't post a letter, right? but you did say something like no. on Twitter. You, you, I'll you, get you into received that. a letter. I'll get into that, and you're going to help me get into that. So I get this letter, right? It lays out the charges, and he says, okay, you got to do this within two weeks. All right, now, there was a requirement in the letter, there was a specific condition. As a matter of fact, the last sentence provides me with explicit instructions, okay, on what I can't do, right? So he sent me this lawyer, has sent me this letter <laughs> and said, here's all this stuff that you've said. Here's my proposed remedy. And here are the conditions. This is what I don't want you to do, okay? Now, I did not bring the letter with me. But I did bring the final page of the letter. Now, I would like you, Mr. Jeff Landfield, host of this podcast, I would like you to read the last sentence in this letter from this attorney. And this is the first time I'm seeing this. This you is just, the first took, time you just took it out. So right? Just the this. last sentence. That's all. And don't mention the name, just the last sentence. Can I say who the lawyer is? Can we, no. Can we, can we say no. It, we will eventually get there. That's the good, this is that's the, the good part. My friend, life is made up as a series of gates, and you need to get through each individual gate one by one. This is the first gate. I want you to so read I'm reading that the sentence. last sentence. The last sentence. No name. Any mention of these matters or this letter in your future po- your future podcasts will negate the above offer. Okay. Okay. The letter back, please. All right. Some good, now, some good, good stuff in there now, that I didn't read. <clears throat> let me tell you, my opinion is that if a lawyer is going to send you a letter and accuse you of defamation, which is basically saying that I chose my words very poorly with malice, right? So if you were going to sue somebody over defamation or slander, you are obviously saying they did not choose their words correctly. Which means, to me, as a lawyer, you 
should choose your words very carefully. Mm-hmm. Do you not agree with that, Mr. Landfield? 100%. And so this final sentence that you read says, any mention of these matters or this letter in your future podcast will negate the above offer. Now, does not mention social media, does not me- mention mainstream media, nor, in my opinion, does this mention that I can't speak about this letter on Jeff Landfield's podcast. On, on other people's podcasts. On other people's, right? Yeah. Do you interpret that the same way? It says your podcast. Your, your podcast. And, and, and you have the uh, right. All Due Respect podcast, which right. to me that means your podcast. Right. And in, in since the complaints are based on my podcast, right, when he says your podcast, I'm assuming he's talking about the same podcast that he took issue with. Right? Okay. So that's my opinion that he's saying I shouldn't talk about it on my podcast, but I can do it on your podcast. So I just want to set that table because now I can talk about the letter, right? I want to get past that gate because, you know, clearly there's an issue out there with people not understanding common English, right? Okay. Now, here's the bones. Let's put some meat on the bones. The lawyer was Kevin Clarkson who is the former disgraced attorney general. I was just going to say disgraced right? attorney general. Disgraced I had the attorney exact same general. thought. Yes, we, we all know the history of Kevin Clarkson. Uh, he, he was forced to resign after it became... Got a little uh, inappropriate uh, with a younger lady in yeah, the governor's Yeah, you know, the text and all that stuff, right? And then he lied about it and he resigned. Okay, so the letter is from uh, Kevin Clarkson. Kevin Clarkson is claiming that I uh, defamed and, and slandered Art Mathias on my July 25th podcast. Okay, Art Mathias, for the folks listening, he is involved in this kind of anti-rank yeah. choice voting. But he was around last year with Sarah Palin. He was kind of involved in that deal. Yeah, and, and, and I want to get to Mr. Mathis. So he, so I received a letter from Kevin Clarkson saying, okay, you have slandered Art Mathias on these four different points, these four different claims, which I'm not going to talk about because Kevin Clarkson deserves a response. Um, and if, 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 if we think you did this, and here's the remedy. Now, this is the remedy. This is what I, they propose. This is what I can talk about. Kevin Clarkson wanted me to write a public apology to Art Mathias. Then— Fuck that. Wait, no. It gets much better, my friend. I would never do that. Yeah. He wants—he has asked me, in order for this issue to go away, he has asked me to write a public opinion to Art Mathias— have him proofread it and okay it. Oh and my then, God, really? <laughs> and then, wait, wait, wait. Jesus. And then have the Anchorage Daily News publish it. Okay, first off, there are any number of issues with this. First off, the remedy is not, not it's incongruous with the, the claim that he's making. You and I do podcasts, okay? Let's walk through this. In order for somebody to listen to your political opinions, they have to seek out your podcast, they have to download it, and then listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's an active engagement, right? And at the end of your podcast, there is a number that tells you exactly how many people listen to it, right? So your audience and my audience on every podcast is quantifiable. I know how many people have listened to this episode that Kevin Clarkson has taken an issue with, right? But yet here, he he's, his remedy— is for me to publish an opinion in the Anchorage Daily News, right, when it seems to me a more suitable remedy would have been for him to demand that I make an apology, a retraction, or a clarification on my podcast. The same medium that he complains about. 
But no, he didn't want that. He wanted me, right? I mean, you know, he wanted me to, to go in front of God and country. And what that does is then I'm offering a public apology, and people are like, what the hell is this guy even talking about? Right. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're elevating it to a, big, a bigger, new exactly. level. So, so, so the so the remedy wasn't even realistic. Interesting choice right? from the AD, and they were the ones who did the article that kind of brought him down. Right. You think he might have chosen like another in, in, medium? And so, you know, so 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 you step back and you look at it. Kevin Clark's me sends sends me a letter. He accuses me of saying some awful things, um, and, and he gives me he gives me nine days because by the time he'd given me two weeks. So by the time I get the letter, it's the 15th of October. So I have until the 24th of October, I have nine days in which to digest his uh, accusations. And then with no time to respond and defend myself, I'm supposed to write this letter of public apology, have him approve it and have the daily news. Can you, can you say what he's accused you of? I mean, no, I don't want, I don't, I, he's accused me of saying some specific things about Art Matthias which are blatantly false and distorted out of context. I will tell you right now, this letter is so poorly written. Bear in mind, this guy is the former attorney general. This letter, Jeff, was so poorly written that when I opened it, I swear to God, the envelope was still laughing at the contents. The envelope was like, <laughs> hey, man, don't look at me. I cannot believe I carry this garbage just, all I'm the just, way I'm from Oregon. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. Don't shred me, baby. So, so I'm, I'm, just not, a messenger. I'm, not, I'm not saying, I mean, if, I, if it was me, I'll tell you exactly what I would have done. After yeah, hearing good, this, first time I heard this, yeah, yeah. I would have said, okay, um, deal, and I would have written a really—I would have had a PDF, like, really—I would have had, like, a second page, and it would have said, you know, blah, 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 and you'd open it, and it would say, dear Mr. Clarkson, go fuck yourself, <laughs> and I would have sent him that. That's what I would have sent him. Here's the letter. Go ahead and publish it. Well, um, and that is certainly one way to handle it. And that's Jeff, Jeff, I, that's I, Jeff Landfield. I, no, but approach. I will tell you, Jeff Landfield, that that did cross the mind of Andrew Alcrow. Right, that was my first this fucking guy. Right, because this is not my first rodeo with Kevin Clarkson. This is the second time that this guy has come after me. That I will have to punch him in the face and make him realize that there's some people out there that ain't putting up with his nonsense. And this is a classic example of the Streisand effect. And obviously, it was Matthias that hired him. Yeah. But you know the Streisand effect. You know this. You know where uh, Barb, years ago there was some property she had, and there was some like Google images that took a picture, and she got mad and had the lawyer like. Go to Google and say, take it, you know, like at that point, dozens of people had seen the pictures, right? right. But then the lawyer, there's a letter, and then it blew up, and then all of a sudden, millions of people, I mean, everybody was yeah. looking at it because you elevate something to a level. Now we're talking about this, right? You know, and, and, it's gonna get. A, it's gonna be a lot of a bigger, much bigger thing than it would have been if and nothing would have happened. And here's the difference. Here, here is here is the difference in you know how people hear what you're saying. If you're accusing somebody of slander or defamation. The first thing is you have to take a look at in what context, right? If if I'm writing something in the Daily News, that's or or any publication that that's any newsprint or you know that that that's that could be laying on the table of some co uh, some coffee table at a doctor's office, and somebody's going to pick it up and they're going to read that article, right? You can't quantify that. But what you and I do, first off, it's protected public, it's protected First Amendment speech. Secondly, the audience, thus the demand, thus those have been exposed to these so-called defamatory are quantifiable. Well, I've, right? I've, I've, I've talked a lot about this and I've read a lot about this. You know, I'm doing this media, I have the website and the podcast. And, you know, especially with public, I mean, the, the, the bar for public figures, this goes back to this uh, Sullivan case a long time ago in the 60s. You, you have to, to, I mean, it's basically impossible. You have to prove, looking for a pen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no, no, don't worry about it. I think I have one back there. <laughs> That's I, okay. I, I, don't I, worry. I can grab it. Don't worry about you, it. You have, to, uh, you have to prove intent, to, you have to prove that you, right. ha you had the intent to harm the person, 
And then you had to prove you harmed them. You know, and 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 th- this is a whole Larry Flint thing. This was a big case yeah. in the Supreme Court about. It, and I want to talk about emotional that. damage and a public figure. So Art Mathias is involved in this anti-rank choice. He's the one. I don't know if it was him or who it was, but th- this is the. You know, I made them the loose unit a month ago when they said something on their Twitter account about you know Mary Paltola's husband and basically like uh, fuck him, you know, whatever they said, and we don't, you know, it was very horrible, and, and even people that were like on their side were like Jesus Christ, like. They had this really nasty Twitter account. It was uh, Honest Elections, I think. And um, just, I don't know. He was involved in the group. And there's another, there's three people. So I don't know who was running the Twitter account. But obviously, like, this Twitter account had been around for a while. And they were saying, really, and they, at one point they had, like, it was so bizarre. I, I had, um, it's a few months ago, they had compared ranked choice voting or something to, like, like the Allied, inv- like, it was some World War II yeah. reference about, like, Fucking Europe. I, I, it was like I, so I, weird. I think you can look at their social media um, and see they're n- not a very disciplined organization that you know promotes the public benefit. Everything for them, and, and I want to get into that next, everything with them is like ignore the questions and just attack well, and, and, and pillar your, and, your opponents. And the point I was making is this guy, this guy is a, a definitely a public figure. He was at a year ago. He spoke at the Sarah Palin event yep. when then nobody showed up. It was in that national group, the – they had the fucking Chewbacca lightsabers, and he was speaking there. He's he's been involved in the Republican Party or conservative, right. um, you know, stuff. He, he's he's in part part of this group. This guy, by all accounts, is a public figure in politics. So well, well, he, he's not some guy who's sitting home and you know. And and you have landed on uh, my next topic. Okay, so so I've talked to you about the outline. You know, he sends a letter to a neighbor. It's not certified, delivered, uh, wrong address. By the time I get it, I got nine days. The remedy and all of the stuff is just like unpalatable. I mean, I can't believe any lawyer worth his salt, which, you know, moving on, um, would send this. Okay, but there were a couple of things in his letter that I don't understand how somebody. beyond a first-year law student, doesn't understand, okay? The first thing was exactly what you said. Now, when you're talking about defamation or slander, there are different categories of people, right? First is a non-public person, right? You can't go on a podcast and say something about your neighbor, right? My neighbor is this. My neighbor is that. I, neighbor is not. Your neighbor is not a public a public person, right? So although you have first-class, first, or first-class, First Amendment rights— to talk about your neighbor, they're they're not as stringent as other protections, right? So there's different labor. So the first, I would say, if my neighbor was was doing something very fucking annoying, and then they asked him to stop like ten times, they wouldn't. I probably would talk about my neighbor, <laughs> right? But 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 and, and, I, have and great, you, I have great neighbors, and you bring up a good point. Defamation and slander are is is one of the hardest things to prove. I mean, that's why insurance companies make slander and libel protection so affordable, right? Because it's a very high bar. But there's different levels of bar. First. You have the local people. You're, you're, you're non-public, right? Then you have public figures, right? Okay, you brought up Art Mathias. Long before Art Mathias stepped on the stage promoting uh, the repeal of, of ranked choice voting, which is a major controversial public policy, long before he stepped on the stage to advocate for repealing for ranked choice voting, Art Mathias was a YouTube influencer, this is a guy really? that for, uh, uh, words, Jeff, words. I didn't know that. Wor- wait a minute. Words. All right. The meaning of words, right? We're going to get back to this. Art Mathias himself has a complete library of uh, videos and sermons 
that he has published on YouTube. They have hundreds of downloads. The church that he's uh, affiliated with, the Wellsprings Ministry, has their own YouTube channel, has uh, over 1,200 subscribers, okay? So long before Art Mathias stepped on the political stage, he was a public figure, right? He is on YouTube, he is soliciting, he is proselytizing, or whatever the hell the word is, he's preaching his word. Proselytizing. Proselytizing. I always get that wrong. Proselytizing. Okay. He's spending his time doing that. He's hoping to encourage viewers. He is a YouTube influencer. Doesn't mean he's very good at it, but he is trying to influence people with his words long before, okay? So that elevates him to a public figure. Then you get to level two. But wait, friends, there's more. There's a level three. And that's when you go from being a public figure to a public political figure. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into that public political... Yeah, look, I, I just went to YouTube and I put, put his name in, and right away, a video pops yeah. up of, of so, many videos, actually, so, of him. So, yep. so when you go, right, so the next level from, from public figure is public political figure. Art Mathias right? interviews with Sid Ross, Supernatural, 10,000, yeah. almost 10,000 views. He's an author. He's, a, a, you know, he's published. I mean, this is a guy who's who's not just a public figure, but he's trying to grow his image through these various venues, right? You go on YouTube because you hope to... Did you know about people, all this stuff before right? this letter, this YouTube stuff, or no? Did I? Yeah. No. I, this is the first time I've heard no. of this, so... Uh, and this is the beauty part, and this is what I wanted... The only thing I want to thank Kevin Clarkson for is for the last four days, giving me the best education of my life on uh, <laughs> slander law and the history of Art Matthias. Okay, so... Strikes into fact. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we've established that Art Matthias is a public figure. The next step is public political figure. Over the last year, Art Matthias has spoken to hundreds at political rallies. His organization has organized uh, uh, political debates, one that which I, I participated in. Uh, his organization that he heads is regulated by the Alaska Public Offices Commission because they seek to influence a public election. Right, he is or listed the, the repeal as, of the right, uh, ranked uh, ranked choice, choice voting. voting. Yeah. He is the listed as the executive director in public documents for the for the RCEA, which is that church they created. Right, he has gathered a suite of political people to advise him on how he goes about repealing the ballot. Right, this is all in the media. This is all public. Right, this is nothing Andrew Halker has concocted. Right, so Art Mathias is no longer. A public figure. The last year, he has become a public political figure. I mean, as somebody who follows and, politics very closely in the state, I first came across him. I think I heard his name, but I first came across him. It was last summer, 2022, uh, when they had that Rat, Rat Palin kind of Chewbacca rally. Right. Uh, and then since then, I've, I've, I've seen him a lot in the things you're talking about. So right. he's kind of ubiquitous in the political world. And once you elevate yourself to a public political figure, and you start talking about defamation and slander, you are talking about the highest protection possible because it is considered protected political speech, and protected political speech is the strongest protected uh, political speech by the First Amendment. So we've established that Art Mathias is a public political figure. And when you are a public political figure, Jeff, then, my friend, any claims regarding slander or defamation, you're about to land right in the wheelhouse of Hustler Magazine versus Jerry Falwell, 485 U.S. 16. Great case. Right? I mean, this is the preeminent case 
about free speech, public free speech. So Art Mathias's protection as a public political figure are almost non-existent, except in the case where there is incredible malice and direct in a meaning of direct harm. Okay. Well, I think it's my understanding is you have to uh, prove the person knew what they were saying was wrong. They, they knew yep. that they were saying untruthful things with the intent to harm, and then harm was. And this is the whole thing. How do you right. how do you prove harm? You know. Right. So right. It, 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 it's the case you're talking about. There's a great movie about it, but it's also good to read up on the Larry Flint right. um, follow case. I mean, that's like. That, that, that's the whole point. You need to be able right. to criticize public figures, and, and, especially and, political figures. And the fact that Kevin Clarkson, A... <laughs> I mean, to, to, to be honest, did, when Trump was talking about this years ago about the libel, I mean, part of me almost sympathize because sometimes, I mean, I've been attacked yeah. by, pe- by people who have, like Suzanne Downing. Yeah, Suzanne fucking, Downing. Who, who writes that I had something to do with my friend's murder, you know, and, and attacks me and, and says many, many, many untruthful things about me. She knows her, I mean, but I can't prove she knows that. And, and, and even if I do, it just it's a waste of time and money. So I do. Th- I mean, in England, in London, actually, in, in UK, the the laws are much different. I mean, you, you have these yep. cases where they sue for libel for libel and slander, and, and they win because these tabloids get a hold of they they you know do something that they know it's fucked up and it's wrong, and that you know they pay. Fi- so I'm not saying it should be changed, but I mean, I do. I would do sometimes wish there was recourse for true uh, malice or true attacks on people that they know are bullshit. But they don't give a shit. But 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 here's the thing: is is there is a venue, right? I mean, and there are is significant case laws where you know people have felt like this is you know you have definitely slandered and defamed me, uh, and I am going to take you to court, and the court has ruled, right? There's a, a seminal case from I think '86 or '76, I don't know. It was in Montana where some guy said in a crowd, you know, your ex-wife is a whore, right? And he got sued, and the court said, yeah, it's free speech, but you know, you intended to do some harm, right? So so in that case, the guy, and again, not a public figure the guy was talking about mm-hmm. so but so th- 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 this is the first issue i have is that kevin clarkson as a former attorney general could not in his role defending this client r- recognize the fact or admit the fact that art matthias was uh, a, a a a political a public political figure so kevin clarkson right off the gate is operating uh from the basis that art matthias gets the same protection as your neighbor who you never hear from I- until you borrow his maybe, lawnmower maybe he needed some cash right no, wait a minute I, and i didn't say that right i'm saying okay that. no no no. okay you need a client? Right. Yeah, that's the first thing. you got money Great. that's the first thing where i thought how in the hell is this guy still practicing law Right. Second thing was when he mentioned the Anchorage Daily News, right, in his threat, he said that I have to write this opinion piece, I have to get him to bless it, basically ghostwriting it, and then I have to have the Anchorage Daily News publish it, or within two weeks, he's going to sue both me and the Anchorage Daily News. Now, first off— Because they host your podcast. (laughs) Right. Again, first-year law student— would hear that, and they'd say, excuse me, uh, what about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act? And you'd say, well, what's Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act? And I would respond that that law that relieves uh, platforms such as the Anchorage Daily News of the liability of content for third-party providers like myself is the reason 
that Andrew Howcrow and Jeff Lowenfeld's podcast can be hosted on the Anchorage Daily News, and it's the same reason that Dr. Art Mathias's religious sermons can be posted on YouTube. Section 230 protects people like Spotify and YouTube and Facebook and the Anchorage Daily News for liability from third-party contributors. The Daily News is not responsible for Andrew Halcrow. Andrew Halcrow is damn well responsible for every word that comes out of his mouth, right? This is, this is the thing and that's the so... fact that, Wait a minute. The fact that Kevin Clarkson would have either the ignorance or, <laughs> I don't know what else, the ignorance. Gall. The gall. To even bluff that. I mean, this is a serious legal letter. It's like, Jeff Landfield, if you don't respond to me within two weeks, I'm going to shoot you to the moon. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't make any sense. It's not possible. And so for a lawyer, you know, usually when, when, as I said, when you get a letter from a lawyer, I've received letters where I've opened it up and I've thought, okay, 12 years ago. When, or 13 years ago, when I got sued by Joe Miller, you know, former U.S. Senate candidate. He sued, when, you, when you had the, the blog and you were writing The blog, about, yeah. right? And he sued me because he wanted me to reveal my confidential source, right, that that I had leaned on to get information that, you know, This is kind about of, the, uh, using the computer and... and using the computer, right. Star Burrow, so right? So when, when I got... And I didn't get a letter from Joe Miller. I got a, I got a, a summons. I, I got a complaint and a summons. So I knew right, right away. You open that and you're like, okay, here we go, right? And even though I knew that I was, was never... It, was gonna, it served to you by yeah, a person? Yeah, it or? was served to me by a person. And, and there was, there was you know, there was no way... You knew at that point in time, okay, this is going to be a trial. And especially doing somebody with Joe Miller. And I knew at that point in time, from the first time I opened the letter, that I would never... Never have revealed my confidential source. Never in a hundred years. I just I would have gone to jail. So I knew at that point in time. Hundred okay, percent. Me too. I would th- never. This, I would never yeah, yeah. Never. I mean, you tell somebody like that. Hey, I'm not going to use your words. And I always tell people that when I do my podcast. Look, just uh, we're having a conversation. I will never disclose. Right. Period. Well, I'd rather rot in jail right. than be the guy who's like known as giving up. Yeah. You can't be the person who's yeah. giving up the source. I mean, no. That's, no. I'd rather rot in jail. Absolutely. And, and, and it's really it's 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 even not about me. It's about the it's about a precedent. Mm-hmm. Right. It's about what kind of a precedent you set. And that's why I am gonna I am gonna push back so damn hard on this because as podcasters, myself, you, others, you know, this is the core. Right. This is the core of what we do. We have opinions. My podcast is advertised, is, is branded as strong political opinions, right? And if you let the Kevin Clarksons of the world eat away at your constitutional free speech rights, speech rights by, by, by being a bully and threatening things that aren't legally relevant or possible, then you give in to them. And I think in this day and age, Jeff, where we're facing, you know, these people trying to pull library books, you know, or people trying to silence TikTok and all this stuff, man, this is just this is just another brick in a wall that they're trying to build. And so I view this as an attack not just on my podcast, but everybody's podcast. But when I read Clarkson's letter again, just the format, the way he sent it, the way he delivered it, the the, the arguments he gave, the, the accusations are nonsense. I mean, a high school AP English student could have looked at this letter and thought, good God almighty, did this guy not go to school? I mean, do you not understand what plural pronouns are or the, well, you're, you're, the whole you're, concept you're, you're, of context? You're sure he sent it, right? This isn't some gag somebody... Yeah, no, like, it's it's sure it's, it's here, you know. Like I mean, maybe somebody fucking with you no, and somebody's it is, impersonating Kevin it Clarkson. It is signed Kevin G. Clarkson. 
Um, and so, you know, this is it. It's just, he just, you have to push back against these people. And so what I've done is I, uh, I received the letter on Sunday. Uh, by Monday afternoon, I had had a certified delivery receipt letter in the mail to Kevin Clarkson saying, A, you delivered this letter to the wrong address. <laughs> That's so funny. Right? Not to mention you've given me a two-week turnaround and you've sent it to the wrong address to begin with, right? I said, your accusations are nonsense. Uh, your remedy is is ridiculous. So here's my deal. And I have sent him back and I've said, look, Kevin, first off, I, I need time. You've accused me of some very serious things. I want to pose a rigorous defense. So I want until I need until November 20th. Right. Uh, I need until November, November 20th to, to take all of what you've accused me of and come up with a vigorous defense. The second thing is I invite Art Matthias to be a guest on my podcast. And good we move, can good move. we can hash it out. I can offer any uh, I can clear up the matter with the same audience that heard me say these comments. I can offer a, a, a retraction. I can offer a correction. Uh, I can offer an apology. I can do whatever Mr. Matthias wants if he wants to come and have a conversation, right? Okay. That's one of the things I put in my letter. So I have sent that letter. I am waiting for a response. So you from haven't Mr. heard back Clarkson. from Mr. Clarkson? No, no, no. I have, have, have not heard back from Mr. Clarkson. However, uh, again, when I view this, I think Mr. Clarkson has two op- two options as a, as a lawyer. He can write me back and say, okay, you get until the 20th, or he could say, screw you, uh, we're going to go to court. And if he goes to court, which really, I think good luck want. and well, good, I, good, I don't good, want that good, good luck and God it's, bless. It's, it's, right. very, it's very embarrassing. Right. And, and, then, and then you get a lawyer and then um, almost certainly you'll prevail. Then you get attorney's fees. Right. And lovely. You know, and he won't be dealing with Andrew Howcrow. <laughs> you know, that's the reality. He goes to court. He's not dealing with me. Right. And this is going to be over uh, very quickly. But, you know, I think this is one of those things. Again, this is my second uh, interaction with Kevin Clarkson in the last three and a half years, the first time he came after my family business. Um, and I took the same approach uh, then as I do now. Why do you, why do you go after your family uh, business? The, the, the car rental? Or? Yes. Um, uh, you know, he was in he, uh, 60 days, 90 days after he got appointed by Dunleavy, he, he wrote me a letter and said that, you know, the company's under investigation. Right. What the hell? So, no, seriously. This really? Is a, no, Jeff, man, this like is from, what happened. Like from the AG's office? Yeah, this is what happens. What the hell? Man, this is, this is, this is what people don't know. This is the political fighting that goes in the background. The guy oh, bl- bl- believe me, I know all about this Well, you do, but I'm saying, I'm talking about the general public. public they don't, they don't know that retribution, this— Retribution, score settling. revenge, absolutely. Yep. Um, and so he, he came after the family business three and a half years ago. I talked about this on my podcast, actually. Um, I told my people, all right, cool. You know, this is the AG's office. We want to be respectful. Uh, we will dance with these people. For, what did he say you were doing? Well, uh, I, 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 he, basically, it was we were doing something illegal. He just accused us of doing something illegal. And of course, it's one of those letters you open up and you go, "Okay, this guy's full of shit." Um, but I told my people, "Look, we're going to dance with him. This is the Attorney General's office. This is serious. They have asked for for answers. We are going to give them answers. We are going to invite them into our office. We're going to make them co- coffee. We are going to make them copies. We're not going to charge them for them. We're going to give them whatever they want." And we did that for a year. And then they kept pushing. And I told I didn't even know about uh, I told oh my God. I told the company's legal counsel, "Fuck this! Good, yeah. you t- you punch this son of a, ba- a bitch so f- hard in the face, and you tell him that if he's got anything, that he steps up and sues us today, 
If he doesn't, get the fuck out of my face and let us get back to running the business. Love that. Right? This was in May of 2000. To this day... 2000. 2000. Or not, I'm sorry, 2020. 2020, right? So this was in, I believe it was April or May of 2020. It has been over three years. I have never heard another word from these people. These people were threatening to sue my family business. And I punched them back, or my lawyer punched them back and said, prove it or get the fuck out of my face. That's what you Never gotta, heard that's from what you, you have that's to. What you say, and that's yeah. what you have to do with people like Kevin Clarkson. And I will, I will just add this. Three months later, Kevin Clarkson in August of 2020 resigned, right? Resigned. So... This is a guy. He's probably never going who, to Avis. Who, who really? <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, and this is just it. You know, it, you, you, I, I don't know much about your, but I mean, you guys have a, <clears throat> all I know is great reputation. You've had the family business in your family for a long time. Seven year family business. I've never we've been an industry leader. Heard anybody? In, we've been a, yeah, we've been an industry leader in improving, uh, you know, customer and consumer uh, uh, relations and our policies uh, as a franchise are some of the tightest. And I, I got to say, you country. guys have the new drive on old yeah. right by my house. I mean, you know, and I was over there recently, and two of my uh, buddies that I used to work with at Cal Worthington. I used to sell cars in 2005. They're working yep. over there. So yep. that's a great um, Good crew operation Good over crew. there. Good cars. So, so I, I want to get back, though. I want to I I talk a, a little bit about Art Mathias because this was the story, and, and this was the background. Now I can, can, can delve down. The podcast in question was recorded on July 25th, right? On July 6th, there were, was a major news story that broke that Scott Kendall, and I love me some Scott Kendall. I think Scott Kendall is like... The brick wall. He's like the last brick in the wall that's holding his. You know, he's been on this podcast many times, but he was on the first ever landmine radio. It was him and Austin Baird. Episode number one. He um, that's him and Austin. And you know, Scott does such an amazing job for the state. Um, And anytime you know, one of these folks, one of these groups is attacking, you know, every Alaskan, uh, Scott Kendall and his team seem to you know, fill in the void. They're like that last brick in the wall that's keeping us from total collapse. Um, So uh, podcast July 25th, the one that was so offensive. But in the almost three weeks prior, there had been a lot of public media focused on Art Mathias. He was accused in a complaint to APOC of creating a fake church, funneling money through it, you know, laundering money or funneling money through it. Um, This was in the press. It was in the ADN. It was in uh, Liz Ruskin at APRN did a story. It was all over. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was after this uh, complaint came out, Art Mathias did not answer legitimate questions, right? There was a couple of weeks where he was asked, hey, you know, just give us an explanation. What's your response? Instead of offering a response, which would have kind of informed the public, he doubled down. And remember, he accused his uh, opponents of being George Soros-driven, and they don't know what the hell they want. Okay, this was July 6th and July 7th. So for two and a half weeks, right, all of us out here in the political world are generating opinions based on this official legal complaint, right? And then there's some other things going on. So when I have my podcast on July 25th, I have had a laundry list of public press articles to create a political opinion on, right? So it's not like I woke up one morning and said, I'm going to 
dig on, you know, I'm going to hash on Art Matthias. Mm -hmm. No, my comments were based around significant and intense media scrutiny. Well, the other thing that's interesting now that you say that is you didn't get this letter until like almost three months after your podcast. Like, why did they wait three months? Yeah, exactly. That's strange. You'd think if it was so bad, they'd right away. Right. Right. And you think if it was bad, uh, the letter would have been formulated more, I don't know, believable? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, when you open a letter from a lawyer, you're supposed to go, oh, my God, I got this. And I'm like, OK, it looks like I'm going to have to spend four or five days just researching. And that's cool because I have time and I actually enjoy this stuff. And God knows I love a fight when I'm right. So, you know, the, the reality is Art Matthias, um, even before uh, this podcast, had been a very public political figure. Uh, he'd been several controversies, uh, you know, with the complaints against APOC and some of the comments he'd made. Um, he's been very public. He's been very politically active. And therefore, even as a basis in law, his protections against defamation and slander are almost non-existent except in the most extreme cases. Now, put that aside. None of Kevin Clarkson's uh, contentions, none of his claims, none of what he says, I said defamatory towards Art Clark has any basis in fact. Art Matthias. Or Art Matthias, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it, he has no basis in fact. It's, it's all taken out of context. It's ignoring uh, uh, you know, surrounding conversations. It's ignoring the plethora of media, uh, uh, media coverage out there that was already bringing into question Mr. Matthias's honesty. You know, when he stands up and he tells people in February, hey, man, I contributed a hundred grand to this organization I want you to do. And then when the public reports come out and the investigation shows that, no, he didn't give to this group, like he told the whole hundred people in that room. No, he he donated to a church who then turned around. I mean, well, you I know, I all, I all of this stuff is in public record. I, all of this stuff was found out true by the, the APOC guy. staff. I don't know the guy very well. I think I met him a few times. Yeah. All I know is after that stuff, after Mary Patel's husband died, and that nasty, horrible—I'll look it up and see exactly. But I wrote about it was you know, yeah. a month ago, and I, I said I made him the you know weekly loose unit, and I said I don't care how much fucking money these people ever offer me, I will never be uh, posting you know posting an ad on my right. website with people affiliated. And I don't know if he did. I don't know if he was the one behind the Twitter account or if it was somebody else. But he's part of the group. And 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 anybody who is part of a group that would put out that kind of you know. Right, dirt or just just kind of filth about somebody who's you know whose husband it was it was a really nasty comment before and I can look it up here and then it was like a follow up like I don't care if like you know fuck it I don't we don't give a shit doesn't mean you know anything and then it was like more about other stuff it was just so nasty and sick it, it is it, it, it they are a nasty group by nature and I say that um, they blocked me on Twitter even before I had gone to their account I hadn't even looked at any of their tweets. And suddenly I was blocked from their site. And I think what they do is they blocked all of those people who are smart out there I'm surprised that can I'm, kind of respond I'm, I'm, to them and shut them down. I'm surprised I didn't get a letter because this is October 6th. I think this is um, October 9th. Um, let's see here. This is – I want to look this up to make sure this is the one here. Um yeah, no, it's the wrong one. I'll, I'll look it up here, but I'm, I'm going to find I'm going to find it and read it because it was maybe it was September, the September one here. I wrote his name down, and there's two other guys, three, two other guys associated with the group. Let's see here. Um, yeah, here we go. This week's designee is a particularly disgusting one. This week's loose unit is Alaska's Alaska for Honest Elections, specifically Art Matthias, 
Philip Eisen, Diamond Metzner, the officials listed on the group's filing. This is a group that wants to repeal the open primary rank choice. But now this is back in the September. Um, I actually, from the landmine, I, I retweeted, fuck these honest elections people and anyone who supports them. And the comment was um, from them. You, your chief of staff, staff is complete garbage, in my humble opinion, and should be replaced. Enjoying him on your campaign team and other areas makes you look incompetent. And then somebody says, wow, stay classy. And then Alaskans for Honest Elections replies, I could care less if her husband died, people die, doesn't make her a better representative. This is like days after the guy. I mean, what, who are these people? I, I, I just think they're, um, my personal opinion is, is I think this group is in, incredibly um, ugly uh, as far as their social interactions are concerned. Uh, you can just take uh, any number of examples from Mr. Matthias's press con- uh, press quotes. Uh, he, he's attacked his opponents as clueless, as George Soros, Soros driven. It's the same playbook. I mean, when they don't have any legitimate or honest answer, it's just attack, attack, distract. That's all they know mm-hmm. because they can't they can't debate or they can't compete on honest issues with integrity. It's just impossible. It's all. F- you know, the- fear and threatening. And you go back and you listen to some of these comments made at these pep rallies about liberals and dark money. And here these people are funneling money through fake organizations. And this is another thing, Joe. It's always, this, people, this, it's always people when they <clears throat> accuse other people. This is, this they're is, the ones usually doing it. This is another thing. You know, some of these groups, you know, they are incredibly incestuous. Okay. So here, going to be careful. All right. Going to be careful on this. But I'm going to put together this pathway, Right. Art Mathias, accused in, uh, accused in a complaint of funneling money through a church and then back to his organization, okay? Art Mathias, September 8th, APOC investigation finds that Art Mathias donated money to this church, right? And then the church— September or July? Uh, it, it, no, 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 no. This, uh, the APOC report came out in September. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. so this was the final in- report after the investigation— so the investigators determined that Art Mathias set, uh, donated the money to the church with the understanding that it was going to be repurposed back to his group. Now think about this trend. I'm going to give money to a church that is then illegally, without reporting it, send it back to my organization, and then, as the Daily News reported in July, all of that money that I've then funneled through this illegal source is then going to go to a company owned by the wife of the guy who's directing my organization, right? It's all very incestuous. And all of these, all of these little puzzles, these little Lego pieces, has been put together already by, I mean, by this is exactly the public media. How the, if you read this really good book by Jane Merrick called Dark Money, it's how this stuff works. I mean, they, yeah. money gets moved around to different organizations and different entities. Some of them share the same P.O. box in some place, and yeah. you, you, can, you can never really track the money because it moves around so much. It is. In, 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 in what's, you can't track the source in, of the money. And what's dishonest is deceitful is, is these people's whole pitch about ranked choice voting is, oh, my God, it's all dark money, and dark money is going to campaign, you know, control our elections. And here's this dude. Right here is this investigation that shows that this church was set up and then money was funneled. And of course, in in Kendall's complaint, in Scott Kendall's complaint, he complained that they created this church slash education thing so that you would get a tax deduction. So you could donate to the church, get a tax deduction, and then the church could s- submit it back to the main group. Well, and, right? And, you know, I, I think there's a legitimate. Some people don't like ranked choice voting. I mean, there's a legitimate. 
um, you know, concept or, or idea to repeal it. And if people want to do that, they can they can raise the money, they can uh, get the signatures, they can run a campaign and um, offer that choice to the voters. You know, that, that's totally fine. But the, these people are like so but fucking to, out there. But but the, but the, but the key is as you just described, is to do that within the confines of the law, right? Mm -hmm. You can work on political issues. You can create groups to overturn elections or overturn ballot initiatives or whatever, right? But you have to operate that group within the confines of the law because the law exists to protect people like you and I who want to go and see where this donation came from, right? So, so the whole idea is, hey, man— and, and this is the this is the thing. This is the thing that kills me, is when you look at the law, Art Matthias could have written that same check totally legally. He could have written that same check directly to his organization, directly to Alaska for honest election. He could have written that check, disclaimed it. It would have been no problem. But he wrote the check to the church that he created, this RCAA. He wrote the check and then had the money distributed to Alaska's for Honest Elections. But by donating to the church, the claim was that he then received a tax deduction from mm -hmm. that. And the APOC staff said, look, man, that may be, but that's an IRS issue. The APOC is not responsible for investigating somebody's tax deductions, right? But that complaint is still out there. And from what I understand, somebody has already contacted IRS. So, you know, when you look at this, the initial complaint was, okay, not only did these people set this church up to funnel money through, but they set this church up to funnel money through and get a federal income tax deduction. And I can't, like I said, the APOC said, look, that's not our gig. Well, that's the, que the, the question I have at this point is, you know, are, do they have the signatures? Are they going to have the signatures yeah. to even? I'm skeptical that they even are going to get the signatures to make because I believe they're due by, by before the session starts. Yeah. Uh, to 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 uh, apply for the repealer, which will right. which will be a next you know, election. So I, I, I they claim they. I mean, I've heard different numbers of signatures and how many they have and compared to what they need. So we'll we'll see if they even all this effort and all this stuff they've been doing, if they're even going to have the signatures required to get the repealer on the ballot right. next and, year. And I think this effort, you know, this effort to silence me is, you know, there's an election in another in a year, right? The election in 2024 is going to be in a little more than a year. And I think what they're doing is is they're just trying to, you know, shoot a gun in the air and see if they hit anybody um, and get them to, to shut up. And I think this is an effort to silence me or get me to pull back my coverage. And, well, I you think know, it's great you came on here, and, hey, and, and it's good and, you're talking about but it. But because... you're a, but you're a key part of this, and you will remember that you and I about two weeks ago had a podcast or had a phone conversation where you called me to say, "Hey, man, what's up with your podcast?" And you and I had a long conversation about you know my thought process and where the podcast is and some changes, and you know maybe my personal podcast, maybe I'm done, right? Maybe it's it's and, run and the and course. I, I called because I was right. curious, but also I offered, offered if you ever want to do it. Here at Tudor Road Studios downstairs, buddy. We're we're your spot wait, to go to. Wait, wait, wait a minute, because because that's what I'm talking. That's why I called. All right. So you called me, right? We had a conversation with the podcast. When we hung up the phone, I said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna get back with you because I really believe that kind of you know the podcast has run its run its course." But then I get this letter from Kevin Carson, and I think, "Oh hell no." You know, we got to do, we got, we got to say it louder. We got to say it more often. We got to have more of a voice. Mm -hmm. So, 
uh, I've gone three, I've gone 180 degrees since you and I talked two weeks ago. And so I think, um, and actually I ran into, you know, one of my favorites, Kyle Reading today, who does a podcast. Oh, yeah, him, him, him and Steve, uh, and, Stephen Cornfield. Yeah. And we talked about... I was on their podcast uh, a while back. Yeah, and I, I love Kyle. Um, and I talked to him today, I, I said, hey, man, you got a podcast, I got a, I got a, Jeff's got, let's... You know, let's start doing it in Jeff's studio. Let's start, you know, creating kind we, of. We've a, actually talked uh, to them before about coming. That's here. what we, he said. We had a conversation uh, for the summer about yeah. doing something together. And 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 we, you know, we had a good conversation. And um, uh, you know, I think there's an opportunity for us to create kind of a suite of podcasts, uh, you know, produced and edited right here in your studio, Jeff. That can get out more professional sound, more regular basis. Um, so I think these, there's, the, uh, there's good groups. These are the RA20 mics. These are the uh, these the, are nice. These best quality broad. You know how much these mics yeah. cost? No, like almost five hundred bucks. This is like the the thing, the handed all the very professional. This is the best kind of mic on them. They also have the SM7, the Sure mics. You know, the, yep. you see a lot of podcasters yep. use those, but these yep. I love this sound of these RA20 mics. Uh, uh, and I like your setup. So, anyways, point being that you know Kevin Clarkson did me a favor in the fact that he's now made me even more committed. Um, Thanks, Kevin. To the podcast than, than ever. Um, so my man Ethan and I are going to huddle next week and start talking about what we want to do. New podcast, new music, kind of a new approach. Because Van, I uh, guess, did Van leave or did he well, move? Well, you know, Van is... Um, what do you call him? My, my main man? <laughs> Van, um, we, we started the podcast two and a half years ago. And at that point in time, we both were in a totally different phase in our life. Uh, Van has an amazing job now and a wonderful life in Portland. And I look at Van as kind of my 18-year-old. I do. I look at my 18-year-old nephews and the fact that uh, they kind of look at me and say, "Yeah, man, I, I, I'm too old to play wiffle ball anymore." And Van's kind of <laughs> like, "Hey, man, I, I've moved on with my you life." Gotta go to pickleball. Van, Van's been very cool, um, but I know that I, I just I want to make uh, I want to make a stronger commitment to the podcast. And, you know, Van's been very gracious with his time and I just, he's got too much going on and he's done his time, but I want to, I want to I, I wanna look at just relaunching the entire podcast. And see, so, so yours is a lot different than, so I'll, I'll, I have a guy, Peter, he's great. He yep. used to have my buddy Jason who, who lives in Hawaii now. He was kind of similar. He's got, he got kids and um, he's busy and it's harder for him to, you know, be available to do it. But, but yours is different. Mine is just the raw audio. I just, I just, I have my guy put the uh, intro music and the sponsorship if we have a sponsor. And then it's just pretty, you know, adjust the levels. But you have like music and you have transitions. And yeah. I mean, that, that requires a lot more time yeah. of editing to get that yeah. complete final product out. Yeah. And um, that's what Van's been so good. And of course, he created all the music. But, um, you know, it's uh, two and a half years old, needs a facelift. Like the um, one where it's like fashion. But it does. It needs a facelift and it needs an overhaul. We need to. You know, what I've seen with my audience growth is you know, the first year and a half, two years, we had growth. But I think the last eight or nine months when we've really focused more on politics, I think our numbers have kind of plateaued because, look, I get it. I mean, you know, when I started our podcast two and a half years ago, the whole idea was it needed to be balanced. It needed to be politics, uh, life and entertainment. But I'd say the last eight or nine months, you've just become over you've you've become overcome you've been overcome uh with events overtaken by events and most of those are political all the stuff that's going on with Bronson and Dunleavy and all this stuff so 
every podcast episode. That seems weird to, that Nigerian Prince guy. Yeah, or whatever. You know, that, was, it, that was a good. It, that was a good one. That was every, one of my favorite um, ones you did. Yeah, and the church is right down the street. Yep. Um, in, in every episode, it seems like you know we're just barking and barking louder and louder at the moon. And, and at some point in time, you think, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm tired of this. Yeah, you know, Mayor Bronson is not a good mayor, and Governor Dunleavy is not a good governor, but there's got to be more to life. Um, And I think people feel that Mm -hmm. way. And so just focusing on the negative, um, our numbers, I see our numbers are plateaued. And from a personal standpoint, it's not very rewarding. I mean, I I know things suck in this city. I know things are not good in this state. I talk about it all the time. You know? yeah. You're right. You, you, can't, mean, and, and you can look, only do so much. And your tweet was your tweet was 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 very right. You know, last week or two weeks ago. I mean, I love this city. I, I you know, I mean, my whole life is in this city. But we are dying, man. This state, we are dying. People, I, capital D. I, I talk about this all. I was a few weeks ago or month months ago. I was in uh, Phoenix visiting a buddy. And, you know, every place has their own issues, right? But it's like I go to even Seattle with their issues. I mean, there's cranes all over the place. They're building in Phoenix. There's like Northrop and Wells Fargo and, and Toyota and companies or Intel are built, you know, like they're, they're, we had this Willow thing, which is I'm really happy that happened, right? $10 billion, whatever dollar. It took 20 years. It was a big. They're doing a, a Taiwan semiconductor plant in Phoenix. It's $100 billion. Yep. There's roads being built. I mean, we can't. Nothing's been done here in decades in this well, state. Or, or this I was city. I was in Boise last month for a for a board meeting. I'd never been to Boise before in my life, and I heard, oh yeah, Boise is just amazing. It's really grown. It's become kind of this cool little vibe. And I will tell you, it is an amazing city, and the downtown is lively and active. And yes, uh, Boise State is there, so it's a college town, but it's clean. Um, and you know their population is growing. It's it is really a vibrant little hub there in Boise. And you look at Anchorage and the state in general, and we're dying. We're losing people. Uh, there's very little investment in this state. I mean, thank God for tourism, uh, or there you know there there really wouldn't be much. And we you know we all know oil and gas is important, but you know the day has come and gone. Right? I, I, I took a picture a couple of years ago. I thought it was such a symbolic image of the park strip. All the grass was fucking dead. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I was down there for, yeah. there was like a fair, a fair or something, something was going on. I go, I, I'm thinking, why the fuck is the grass dead? So I took a picture and I put it on landmine. It, 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 it kind of viral. It got a lot of shares and a lot of comments. And it was just like, that. that's our crown jewel, yep. right? The, the yeah. park strip. And then also the snow plowing thing. Like, you know, we, we were twice the pick in the nineties to host the fucking winter Olympics. You'd think a city like that would be able to plow their streets. Well, and the, bo- the, bo- and, the, and the bottom line is, Jeff, we have not been investing in ourselves. We just haven't. We don't invest in the things that that you know that we used to invest in that used to give this city some some sass, some panache, some you know a vibe. I mean, there's nothing. It's just about losing things. I mean, think about was, how many things we've lost in the last to, six or seven years. I had Bill Poppin here a few weeks ago, and uh, you know, running for mayor and. I, I mentioned I moved here in 04 uh, in August and I was just so I got I was young and 19 but I was like remember driving into the downtown seeing the sun gleaming off the Conoco I said wow this oh my gosh you know, this is like a city this is before Craigslist and all the other I, did, I had no idea what I was coming to um, me and a buddy moved here but I remember very vividly going out um, getting a place getting set up and we did a hike and went down downtown and there used to be this like salmon bake thing on mm-hmm. like 4th and D it was like it was vibrant. Phyllis's, Phyllis's salmon bake, right? And it was outside, yeah. and it was it was you know lobster or, or sorry crab and, and that's all. That's not there. I mean, there's like nothing. I don't even go. My friend got murdered in 2012. He literally, mur- 
executed on yeah. the street. You know, on Halloween, there was no cops. It was just, it used to be a place I'd like to go. I'd like to used to go down there. And it was fun, especially at the daytime and the, and the, the summertime. And now it's just riddled with like, the homelessness and it's dirty and it's just not a place. My cousin came here over the summer for a wedding with his wife and kid. And first thing he basically saw was going to the hotel. They had to like explain to his kid why they were being kind of like accosted by some homeless guy outside the, and, and he's kind of like, you guys have homeless people? He lives in LA, which is a you know big homeless problem. And I had to kind of explain to him the whole situation because I've done a lot of work on this over the years. And he was kind of just almost like, really? Like it's like cold and just, just yeah. that's like his first impression of this you know city. Well, and I think you pointed a couple of good points. I mean, you know, as a city that's supposed to be growing and vibrant, um, we can't even do the basics. We can't plow the streets. We, you know, struggled with getting a handle and a focus on the the homelessness problem in this in this city. And meanwhile, while you're going backwards on these core basic services, you're not investing in the future. You're doing nothing to push yourself forward, right? I mean, a good city that's managed by a good mayor has some forward has some projects moving the city forward as well as addressing you know the the, the fires on the burner so to speak um, and it just it, it seems to me when you look at the demographics the demographic shift I mean this is one thing and I'm sorry I keep banging this table this is one thing I think that people really need to focus on because I know we're so overwhelmed by bad news and and not just the city and the state but the country and the world right? But there's there's some things that I think um, you really you, you just you, you really need to pay attention to. Um, and when you look at the trends in this city, the people leaving, and you look at some of the the articles that have happened, one that was very alarming, and it was a couple of weeks ago in the Anchorage Daily News. It was a front page article, and there was a study done on the graduating class of two thousand and five. And the graduate, and this study tracked all of the the graduates from Anchorage high schools in 2005, and kind of where are they now, right? And the study showed that 50% of the students that graduated from high school in 2005 no longer live in Alaska. Now think about this: if you graduated in 2005, you would have been 18, say 18, right? Today, this year is 2023, so 15 years later, you're, you'd be about 33 years old right? 33 years old. Now think about most people at 33, getting married, buying a home. 18 years later. 18 years later. Sorry, 18 years later. So I'm sorry, you'd be 36, right? Uh, Thank you for the math. Um, So you'd be 36. And you think about what 36-year-olds are doing, you know, married, kids in the school district, by the way, declining school district population. So you think about where people are in their lives at 36, getting married, having kids in the school district, starting a small business, being consumers, spending money, doing this, doing everything, contributing to the community, right? 50% of those people are gone. 50% are gone. So what are you doing to to, to rack those? And I, I would argue over the last 18 years, this city and state has has literally gone backwards. And, and, and it's in the numbers. I mean, for the last 10 years, we've had an out-migration. I, I've, I've been, you know, and, I, and you're always going to, like, I grew, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in, a lot of people leave, and you're going to have some of that. You're not going to yep. keep everybody. But I, I do think we're higher than um, normal or other, other compared to other places. But what, what, what I've thought about, especially when COVID happened, and to, to me, it's like beyond me, we can't figure this out. And part of it, the biggest part of it is building. We can't, we don't build anything. Like I, there's no right. houses being, very few houses being, especially multifamily or larger yep. uh, housing units or condos or apartments. We we are a place that a, a lot of people want, people who are into backpacking, hiking, 
skiing, fishing, kayaking, all that out, outdoor stuff. You know, we, 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 we live in a place where you can drive 20 or 30 minutes to the park in the yep. Glen out somewhere. And, and another 30 minutes, you can be in a place or an hour that some people wait their whole fucking life to see. I mean, you can literally drive to the Glen Alps, walk back there to a flat top or to the ramp, and you, you get back to that range, and that and you're, you're seeing stuff that's, like, incredible. Yep. We could be attracted, I mean, with COVID, right? Tech workers, Silicon Valley, uh, Seattle, right? Washington, um, t- finance, we're all kinds of people who would want to live here, who, who, who we have the stuff that they want to be around. We could, we could attract them. Yep. But we have to have, you know, they want to live downtown. They want to be... They want to have these things that, you know, are convenient. And we don't have any of that. So well, we, we can't attract the people who would who would definitely be moving here. And, and look, I, I mean, I got involved in these conversations on housing when I was at the chamber, which was 10 years ago. And for 10 years, we've been crying about the lack of affordable housing, right? And every year, what do we see? We see these housing summits. I mean— They're having one know, in a few weeks. Six, I mean, they're having an assembly I, housing yeah, action. Enough already. I mean, good God. Six years— uh, six years uh, in the Berkowitz administration, we built not one but two, the first two uh, new housing uh, uh, new housing projects downtown in like forty years. We built them. The the, the equation's there, right? The the, the 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 recipe is there. My, my but condo. Yeah, we still have all of these housing summits. Oh, we're gonna have a housing summit. You know what? We've had housing summits for the last ten damn the, the, years. Man, build something. Reminds, we know what the problems are. This reminds me of Bill Walker, twenty ten. This is why I really started getting um, behind Bill Walker in twenty ten. He used to. He says, "I'll never forget it." He used to say, "We we used to build things. Now we study things." Right. No, and, and absolutely. You can apply that right. to so much. So I have a little condo I bought in twenty twelve. I got really lucky. It was a foreclosure. It's. In a, you know, great neighborhood. I'm yep. on the board, River Park. It's right by the drive, right, right down the street. Sylvan, you go to the end of Sylvan. Uh, hundred In our little association, 116 units built between 2000 and 2007. There, there are two bedrooms and three bedrooms mixed. You know, I, I was asking friends, built. there's no way that would get built right now. That that whole, and, and it's affordable. I got it for, it was a pretty good deal. It was a foreclosure. Uh, I was talking to, I had, a, um, oh my God, the guy from Eagle River Assembly, um, the builder. Oh, why am I blanking his name? Ke- Kevin Kevin uh, Cross mm. was on here. He's a you know real estate guy. We're talking about my mortgage is nine hundred. Um, I you know I got a three three percent three and a quarter rate. My condo dues are three hundred. I got some utilities, but that place right now, what it costs, it's way more than what I paid for because I got a good deal and plus the price have gone plus the rates. I mean, I couldn't. I don't know if I could buy that right now. No. And, and I bought that when I was twenty seven, twenty eight. You know, it was kind of my first place, a co- starter condo. And it's a great place. Yeah. And and I mean, I'm talking to people right now whose kids are, you know, they're looking at renting and, and buying and, and, and the, the availability for one, the rates, interest rates if you're gonna buy, the rents if you're gonna rent, and 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 and, and the um inventory. It's just all stacked against. Right, people who are, who want to get set up. It is, and it, and it gets back to, and you know, certainly for years at ACDA. I mean, you know, I negotiated. I mean, I spent two years of my life, you know, painstakingly negotiating the new housing project at Eighth and K. Um, and you know, you get into it, and you realize. I mean, there's first off, there's a lot of risk on the builder's part, right? You're building something, and you are hoping 
somebody is going to rent those units for a market rate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you you have all of this cost invested, and you have to make sure. But when you get into all of the cost here in Alaska, whether it's acquisition of the land, and then when you buy land, inevitably it got to have environmental work done on it, and then you've got planning, platting, and then you have all of these other expenses, and then when you start to throw in construction and the cost per square foot, I mean, suddenly there is no such thing as affordable housing. Right. Well, I mean, well, and that I, was the I, problem I, that we had. I'm thinking of what you're talking about. This is not really Anchorage proper, but I'm thinking of Holton Hills. Yeah. That whole fucking thing in Girdwood. How how Connie yep. did the work, the RFP, the Heritage Land Bank, that you know, put the money. You know, and, and then these these people just go and they go to the community councils. Paxson did a great article, a big big yeah, I saw that. expose yep. on this, yep. and they lied. They just lied, 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 yeah. lied about all the bullshit, what it was going to be, uh, the size of it, all this stuff, and they stopped it. I mean, I still hope to God it happens, but right. it's like it's. This state, the problem with this state is, I don't care if you're like on the way left or the way right, any small group of people can stop anything from happening. And, and they do right. it on big projects, on small projects. It, nothing happens because they either sue or they have political power or they have like some, they have a friend in the legislature, the governor, they can make a call and, and nothing. So, so the result is nothing happens. And nothing happens because the process, the public process has become so untenable that investors and developers are like, why the hell am I going to do this? Look at the Valley. I mean, the Valley last year, half of, I think it was like 50, more than 50% of all the houses built in Alaska last year were built in the Valley. Yep. Be- because, and I know Jesse Sumner, I know Rob Yunt, they're builders. I, you know, they, Jesse was on the Matsuboro Assemblies in the legislature. I talked to these people and, and they say, yeah, like we, we, it's, it's, we don't, it's friendly. You know, we don't, we don't say do whatever you want. I mean, we have rules. There, there's not, it's not like a free for all, but it's, it's, yeah. it's friendly and, and they allow the people to build and things get built. And, 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 and there's two things. People are moving to the valley. No, 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 I get it. And the valley has been the fastest growing region in Alaska since I think the last the the late nineties. They just picked up um, a half of a legislative seat here in the redistricting. Yeah. So so you so but the valley you need to we need to understand more about the valley. Yes, people are moving out there, right? And they're buying homes. They have land. The land's cheaper. You know, it, it, the cost of building is cheaper. Um, there's not a lot of infill development, which means developers or or you know builders have you know fairly clean lots. It's it's a, it's not it's much less expensive to build in the valley. Um, and people say it's permitting and it's that it's nonsense because I've talked to major developers who build forty million dollars hotel who said that there is nothing wrong with the permitting department. Yeah, you know, you might get pissed off if you've got to get an extra permit if you're doing a, a, a replacing an electrical panel, and there are people that raise well, issues. I but think it's more zo- zoning-related. Right. And Kevin and those guys tried to, and the people lost. It's funny, the conservatives, right. like, lost their mind over that. They all, Downing and Dembowski and Picard, they all went after Kevin Cross for trying to say, look, we need to simplify the zoning. We need yeah. to be able to build something bigger than a duplex. And, and that was the big, and we talked about it. He had a really long conversation with him. And he made, I mean, somebody built something and then they had to spend like, I forget what it was. It was like some crazy amount of money on like some road and something. Right. And then like two years later, the city just dug the whole fucking thing up. And, and, and that's the, and that again is the problem. But, but why don't I switch back? So people are moving to the valley. Uh, housing, yes, is yeah, bigger lots. Um, uh, and uh, certainly the uh, investment in the roads, the highways. I mean, uh, my grandkids live out in Palmer, and it, t- it 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 takes me longer to get from Sand Lake to Muldoon than it does from Muldoon to Palmer, right? I mean, so it's like a 25-minute drive, Muldoon to Palmer. So, so Wasilla and Palmer have really become bedroom communities. But the key thing that people keep forgetting is that almost 50% of the workforce in the Valley works in Anchorage. 
It's that high? I knew it was high. I didn't this, realize it was that high. Yeah, it was like 45, 46%. And that doesn't even include all of the contractors that are based out there yeah. that come into town to do the work. So the fact is, Anchorage, and we can talk all day long about the growth in the valley and, and all of the cool strip malls that have gone up, but you have to realize that almost 50% of their workforce earns their living here in Anchorage. Anchorage is the economic hub of the state, right? That creates a greater importance for this city to be our shining jewel. Well, people, and people want to live here. I've, I've yeah. talked to several people, businesses and folks that have, you know, people that have hired folks to move up, move back up here. And, and they cannot, like, they look, they can't find yeah. a place they want to buy. They can't find a place they want to live. So, so they end up moving inevitably to the valley yep. because they can find something bigger. You're talking about cheaper, more, there's more inventory, there's more whatever. They, they commute. But they'd want to live here if if, yeah. if if we could make make that attractive or make that possible. And yeah. I, you're, you're so right. They're having this housing summit in a few weeks, and you know that's I'm, and, and okay. The key, I'm and sure the key is, gonna... look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now. I, I'm gonna tell you right now that I think this is this is my opinion. I think this is a, a a pretty well learned opinion. That until the state, until you have money, until you have a pool of money that can help de developers reduce risk. Uh, you have a pool of money that, that lets uh, local governments like Anchorage go up onto the hillside and actually pay for the introduction of infrastructure, like putting streets and sewer and water in so the developers don't have to put that cost into the home, right? The city's going to recoup the cost 100, on that infrastructure, 100%, 100%. right? I mean, so if the city had money, if they had the capacity, they could go in and start punching rolls, roads in some of these places, and then the developers come in and can build these homes, Well, I mean, right? I, I, I totally believe it's a role of government to, to build infrastructure, roads and infrastructure. And we're in, I, I don't know where you are on this. I'm a big, big, big supporter of that Kabata bridge, that Kinnick Arm Crossing. Okay, I mean, I, I, we're going to have to agree on disagree, that, but that I agree with podcast. your overall pr I mean, that, premise. Build that fucker, think about it, what's going to happen, or bam. Right. Um, Boom. But, but here, but let me, the downside to that is you're going to be building a, a billion-dollar bridge in literally into the middle of an area that is going to have to demand more government resources. You punch that bridge over there, people are going to want schools and roads and state trooper protections. Absolutely, yeah. And at a time where we can't afford to pay for a new pair of shoelaces in this state. Don't, don't you think, I mean, I, I, you're right. And that, I'm, I'm That's what do, but, I worry but, about. But don't you also think, just, I mean, think about like, if, if we were to, and that, by the way, that bridge was basically, um, it was it was approved it had the record of decision. It was in, you know, Walker killed it in 16. Dunleavy's been talking about bringing it back. They, they, they had a study back in 19, then COVID happened. But I yeah. mean, the cost is, it was a billion. Now it's probably fucking two, who knows? It's gone way up. But I mean, just can you think about the energy and, and the excitement? And if that were to like say, we're building this bridge, I mean, just think about what that would, I mean, the positivity, the positive energy, and like, we're doing something. We're going to, there's going to be a project. Oh shit, we're going to have this whole new development. We're going to have houses being built. We're going to have businesses being um, right. uh, opened up. We're going to have, oh my God. I mean, I just see, think that would be a, such a positive thing for the state. See, see, now I think you could, I think you could accomplish that. I think you could accomplish that thing, same thing without spending $2 billion. I think you could have a governor and a mayor that stand up and says, you know what? We are truly open for business. We're going to start investing in communities. We're going to start building roads. We're going to st start providing financing through ADA to help upgrade local inventory, homes inventory. Bear in mind, this is not risk. Developers will still have to pay for it. We've talked about this for years, but you have to have, I mean, you have to have some gas in the engine. 
And that gas in the engine only gets there if the state and groups like economic development agencies like ADA, who are the only ones that have the capacity to invest in these projects, turn around. I mean, they spent $70 million on Mustang. Do you understand what $70 million could do in this state for housing? Mustang, for Christ's sake, give me $10 million in I, this I, city. I, I could do a whole podcast on that. This has been I, I mean, many, many, many it's years. Not, in the- but that's just it. You don't need a $2 billion bridge. You need people who are currently controlling the state's assets, like the, the education strategy and the community community development strategy and the economic development strategy with ADA. Just, you just, need, just like you want to disagree on the, on the Kabat, I want to, you know, I want to disagree. I think we should, no, no, I think I think we, we should I, get rid of ADA I, and start over. But but I think ADA, I agree too. With another type thing. I totally agree too, Jesus. because ADA has become a dinosaur. And ADA is so fixated on hitting the home runs. They're, they're like that baseball player that hits maybe a, a buck 60 during the season because all they do is get up to the plate and swing for home runs and they strike out so goddamn much. Mm-hmm. I mean, 70 million. Into Mustang again, you know what ACDA put into Block ninety, uh, Block ninety six, the Eighth and K development. Um, I think we put in about two million. I mean, two million times five. You could have five of those developments downtown, right? I mean, the money that we waste. And this gets back to what you know, Bill Bill, Bill Walker said uh, years ago. He was kind of on the permanent fund, but he says, you know, we we don't have a. I think he said we don't have a, 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 a money problem or we don't have an asset problem. We have a problem with how we use those. We have assets. a cash flow problem. Yeah, you know, you know and, and I think the same thing for a lot of things. But you you can't if you're on the outside looking at Anchorage, as you said, and you love the outdoors and you love the wilderness. You've got to reconcile that with A, Alaska is the most dangerous state in the country for women and children. B, uh, our education system ha- is lacking investment and shows no progress and no potential t- turnaround. Three, you have a declining demographic where the population is getting older and then younger who are less educated. So if you're looking to get established here, you have to ask yourself, hey, man, I better love hiking oh, and skiing a, a hell of a there, lot there, to there, offset the other things. There's a lot of reasons things. to say I mean, the winters are long, it's dark, it's cold. Yep. I mean, there's a lot more places to, that's you know. That's why, they, yes, that's why you have to have a good city. Yes. That's why you have to have an education and a public safety and an economic development uh, track record where people say, yeah, man, I know I'm going to be into the dark and cold for six months a year. But by God, man, this city is happening, baby. Got the vibe going. I've been, but I've, nowhere. I've, I've been to European cities. I've been to Finland. I've been to, you know, like... Cold, you're, you know, it's fucking fun. It There's is. There's stuff going on. I've been all over the world and, you know, where it's like, it doesn't have to be like right. this. And, and I we, remember. We, we actually live in a pretty cool place. And it's about people investing. I love this. I used to love this when I was, you know, downtown at ACDA. People go, you know, downtown's dead because you need more events. It's like, who pays for those? Who's going to pay for those events? You know, Anchorage Downtown Partnership, who who raises money and funds for all of these wonderful programs they do, they're at capacity. So I love when people say, you know what, we need this, we need that. No, you know what, we need a city that attracts that outside investment. That's the whole idea, is to get people to move here that love this city enough to start a business, to, to raise their family, and to invest in the community. And that is non-existent. That's why you don't see any cranes in this goddamn city, Right. That's why you don't see any growth. That's why I, I every just, year just, we're talking about housing just, because we're not focusing on those things that other cities are done. And that's why I think Bill Pop is so important to this mayor's race. That's why I think Bill Pop is probably the one of the most important candidates that this city has had on the ballot in years because of what Bill's experience is and what he could bring to the well, eighth floor of city hall. Hey, you mentioned the cranes. I was just, I did a little cruise. I, Got a good deal on this, you know, Vancouver to Whittier, uh, Whittier to Vancouver cruise, and Vancouver obviously the, the core 
you know, city, and then there's the outside. It's pr- much bigger than Anchorage, but fuck, there was cranes everywhere. I, I counted yeah. like from the from the uh, dot from the um, harbor where you know where the, what's it called where the boat goes the the the, 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 uh, the fuck is that called the the dock you yeah, know, yeah, where, yeah, where yeah, the, the pier the, yeah the pier yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to the airport I counted like six cranes yeah. And you know why there's six was, you know why there's six cranes in Seattle and there were cranes in Boise and when I even when I was in downtown San Francisco there were the cranes port, in downtown the San Francisco. Right? The reason there are cranes is because those cities and states incentivize development, right? There's a little thing called um, uh, the investment or the the incremental tax credit, right? And so that says that okay, this is a blank lot. All right, it's worth $100. $100, the city gets taxed $100 on this piece of property. But Jeff Landfield wants to come in and build a business on this. And therefore, the property tax, the, the value of the properties go from $100 to $500, right? We want Jeff to build that, but we understand Jeff has some, uh, you know, economic concerns, the economy, whatever. So we want to incentivize. So we're going to offer a tax incremental financing where we understand that in five years when Jeff builds this house, it's going to be worth 500000 so what we're going to do is that difference between the 100,000 it currently is and the 500,000 that year it's going to, that 400,000 we're going to play with that a little bit. You're going to pay it back, but we're going to structure it so you can get in and build your building and then pay us back over time. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the kinds of things we can do that let developers and let builders get in the door well, I mean, this, and this, pay it back. It's this, not a giveaway. This reminds me of talking about abatement or, or you know t- yeah, t- t- right. uh, t- tax incentives. Right. It took I don't know how long it took decades for that fucking hotel Come down in the middle of Anch- was Anchorage Hotel or yeah the, the, the uh, Northern Lights Northern Lights Hotel yeah, that yeah. I saw I think it, it was both the Golden Nugget, for the, Gold Nugget. Yeah, Northern Lights yeah. it was there forever yeah. I, they couldn't the family the Wang or Fang and then you had this Fourth Avenue theater that nobody fucking used it just sat there for for decades it just sat there finally yeah. it's finally gone you know good riddance I mean I'm so happy it's gone <laughs> I mean I, I'm I know the history there I know people want it, whatever but wait, what do we do we just we just let stuff sit well and, 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 and nothing and, happens and the um, the fangs are a good example I mean that's uh, you know that's a family that's one of the families um, that has really over the last 20 years invested tens if not hundreds of millions in this city I mean you know the fang family was responsible for 188 northern lights and, and from what I understand they built that building on spec because you know, they take a very, very long-term approach to their investments. What even happens in that? I mean, Down, I know there's some companies in there. Is it full? I don't yeah, even know. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, they nice they, building. they built that, you know, saying, you know, that they, they you know, they will come. Our, our, our tenants will come. But the downtown, the project they're working on downtown, of course, they just completed that $40 million renovation of the, the Key Bank Key building, Bank, yeah. you know, the earthquake. But they gutted that, and they have new tenants there. But they now, over the last few years, have accumulated that entire block, right, including the 4th Avenue Theater and other ways. They um, should buy an ad on the landmine if and, they're listening. And, <laughs> and, the, and the challenge for them is, again, you've got 40, 50, 60-year-old infrastructure, under that entire city block. So if you're going to build a, a new building or a hotel or any kind of development, then the city's going to come to you and say, okay, Jeff, we think that's amazing that you're going to invest $50 million, but you know what? The sewer and the water, all of those lines need to be upgraded, and you will pay for that. And so as a developer, it's not just you're facing the construction costs, 
but then you have to pay for the city's infrastructure. And mm-hmm. again, that's where uh, agencies like ADA could come in and offer low-cost financing or some kind of development grants to local communities well, my, instead my, my, of spending my, 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 $70 million on a on a dusty hole. My, my, like, so my issue with ADA, it's, it's so fucking political. I mean, my, this building I'm in, yeah. and I, I hope he doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but uh, we talked about it. My buddy Bryson owned the building. ADA has a program about uh, designed to, to incentivize people to buy old buildings and, and old, older, you know, this is in a pretty old, these two buildings, you got the pawn shop next door in this building, um, and, and renovate them. And it's a low interest, you know, you go through a bank and, you, you know, you, it's a low, it's, the whole point of it is to buy older infrastructure, older buildings, renovate them, fix them up, turn them into commercial office space, right? right. So, so they go to the bank, they have a relationship, they're, they're business guys, they've been doing this a long time, they apply for the ADA deal, you know, the program to, to get the low interest uh, loan. Yep. Gets turned down. Why did it get turned down? Because it wasn't 100% occupancy. How the fuck can you be ocup- have occupancy if you're renovating the building? Right. And I, I just know, I know, I know, if, if my buddy or somebody would have had some political connection to the board or some person, they would have got whatever they needed. Because we see this all the time with aid. I mean, every fucking thing that happened, I mean, that Mustang thing and all these other, and all, the article I did a couple of years ago when they all, a bunch of the board members and employees got CARES Act grants for their, for their businesses. They applied like a day or two before the program and they all got approved. Yep. This is the kind of bullshit. Well, and here, here's a perfect... 100% exp- occupancy here's, when you're here's fucking a, renovating a building. How's that, how's hey, that possible? Here's a perfect story of how I think ADA has failed this state. Um, years ago, I think four or five years ago when I was at ACDA, um, I had created... Uh, I had my eye on the old Cyrano Theater building. Now, the thing about the old Cyrano Theater building is not only did it include bubble, uh, Bubbly Mermaid... Whatever the oyster called, yeah. Um, but above there were twelve apartments, and the, those apartments are fully occupied, and they generate enough cash. They would have generated enough cash to pay the debt service on Cyrano's Theater, while ACDA went out and found a tenant, renovated, attracted a tenant, and redid the building. Right, so we wouldn't we we didn't just go in to buy an empty building. It's like, look, we're going to buy this building, right? We're going to buy this building. The rents from the twelve apartments are. Plenty enough cash flow to pay the debt service that we're going to need to borrow from you, Ada. And then in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to go in, we're going to find a tenant. We'd already talked to somebody. We had find a tenant. We're going to renovate the building to do the tenant improvements, and then we'll sign the lease, right? And we will have redeveloped a key corner in downtown that needs to be redeveloped on the east side of downtown. And we said, we have all of this. We've done all the work. Uh, I, I spent you know, two months going through Cyrano's with engineers and the basement and all that stuff. Went to ADA, ADA and we said, look, this is the deal. You know, we can afford this, but we just like the financing. And they said, no. We said, what do you mean no? I mean, this project pays for itself. And they said, no, we, we don't lend on housing. And I said, all right, but it's multi-use. It's connected to a, a, a leasable commercial tenant space. No, we don't do it. I mean, that was a perfect project. You know, I, I think we were looking for a million dollars. That's it. You know, it, and it would have redeveloped an entire corner downtown on, on, on 4th and D. But no, that, that, because they don't do that. They don't do housing. It's, but it's mixed use. The majority of it's commercial. Well, I, 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 no, nope, I, I, don't do I, it. I'm pretty sure if you had a different last name. Or if you were a different person, I'm sure you could have yeah. worked that out if you had the right connection to the governor. Right. And it's not just this governor. This goes back many governors. It Ada. does. Ada is kind Ada of has the kind of slush a, fund uh, it has. for whatever, who's ever in charge to to get get the little, you know, whatever connection or little project or little yeah. 
little, little, little money they need to do and, something. And, and I mean, look, I, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I don't even need to state this. I'm a huge fan of resource development. I love mining. I love you know fishing. I love uh, natural or oil and gas. I love that. I I've I grown up in this state. But the fact is, you know, this this damn Ambler Road, right? I'm willing to entertain the thought that the state should subsidize this road when and if you have firm commitments from mining companies that they are actually going to show up and this road is going to be paid for, right? I know there's some environmental questions out there and some use questions that people are pissed about, but this is the whole focus of of ADA. There is like uh, most of the the mining employees, I think I did a a thing on this once where 50% of the hard rock mining employees don't even live here. So here, everybody, ADA has a history of investing in industries and projects that don't even employ Alaskans well, or roads, a majority they, they, they Alaskans. Just, they fucked up the the the, uh, the access road so bad that um, <clears throat> the governor's people took a big portion of that road away from ADA, and now yeah. now DOT has it. And that's another thing; they aren't even going to start building it until twenty twenty five. Why do they have to wait two years to build the road? And again, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to invest, you know, I'm going to pick a random number here. Uh, We're going to invest $20 million in a road, but you can't invest $20 million in pre-K. Well, I'm all for for that road, but everybody got to be able to use it. And there's this thing about it's a private road. And then there's other fucking Mustang road, which they decided to try to give to the the state to to cover the... um, the, the dividend, because a Mustang thing so fucked up, and so much money got blown on that Mustang yeah. operations that, with Brooks Range and that whole project up on the, on the slope. And I, I remember being in Senate Finance, and Lyman Hoffman basically said, the fuck are we going to do with a road? Why are you giving us a road? Right. It's, you know, it's this whole mess of that Mustang. Right. That could be a whole fucking, we should and, do a whole podcast Ada on that Mustang just, operations. Ada is an absolute mess. Ada needs to be bulldozed. And Remember the Clark I, it, Penny, Saul Soros? Yeah. That, I, that was like four or five you years know, ago that I it, uncovered. It really is just a littering ground for, you know, p- p- political cronies. I mean, that's that's really my opinion of Ada. It's just a littering ground for for the governor's political cronies. And they're not serving the purpose right. of this for, the, for, for Alaska. Brad Keithley just did a, a column today, basically really critical of the permanent fund board about trying to get out of the open meetings and all this stuff, uh, you know, the overdraws and, you know, these different proposals are talking about. And and he talked about, I didn't even realize this, but I guess the RCA was born out of the Alaska Utilities, some acronym, but but they were so fucked up, they just got rid of it and they, and they restructured it. And and then they had a new, new thing, the RCA. So it's almost like you got it in Brad's basically saying you got to get rid of the permanent fund board and restructure how it's, how it's done and all how people are appointed and, and, and how, you know, the whole thing functions, but that's got to be the same thing with Ada. I mean, you know, just start from scratch. Yep. Start something new that works, yep. that isn't crony, that isn't subject to the whims of whoever's the governor and whoever his people are and whoever's in charge, and they can do whatever they want with their buddies. Yep. And we used to have, uh, you know, when I was in the legislature and we were going through those terrible budget times in the early 2Ks, uh, we used to have a, a, an agency called the Alaska Science and Technology Foundation. Right. I mean, it used to be a, a, an agency that was tasked with investing in startups and, you know, really kind of pushing uh, Alaska to that next level as far as attracting tech. And this was in early 2K. But we eliminated the group in 2001 or 2002 because the state was broke and didn't have any money. Right. So that's part of the history of the state is we have never provided enough sustainable, uh, consistent resources for us to even kind of part, make part, a dent part, in these uh, these initiatives. Part of the problem is, you know, we were broke for a long time. Oil got found. The lease sale. I mean, when the lease sale, the first lease sale happened, it was 900 million. 
the state budget was a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's equivalent to like a yeah. fifty billion dollar windfall yeah. today. So we had no money. We were, we were pretty broke. Became a state oil. Okay, a lot of money. Seventies pipeline, right? And then the oil started flowing, and there was a fuck ton of money. Yep. Right. And and all this stuff got all these programs and these groups and these organizations, and then they all got started because there was money for that. Nobody wants to get rid of something once it's it's a classic kind of government. You, no, nothing. Right. The best example I can give. And this is kind of an internal thing, but the, the the Republicans, when the coalition was in charge of the House, they 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 were furious about this um, House Ways and Means Committee. The, the, it's, it's dumb committee. They, it's all I don't care who's in charge of the coalition or it's a bullshit committee. They were against forming it, right? But they, they got yeah. formed. The Republicans take over this last year. They keep the fucking Ways and Means Committee, and they put Ben Carpenter in charge of it. They, they were against. They were all against it. But you can't get rid of it. So we had all this money. We had all these programs. We had all these organizations that were, you know, founded. We can't afford all this shit. Right. And it's it's time to start saying, what do we need? What do we don't, what do we not need? Right. But nobody wants to get, and there's always some little constituency or some little group of somebody wants, you can't get rid of this because, oh my God, the sky's going to fall. Right. But but I, I and I, I hear what you're saying. And, and as a legislator, and certainly over the last 20 years, uh, you know, I've heard these comments about government spending. But, you know, again, let's, you got to take a look at the scoreboard, man. You always got to look up at the scoreboard. This state is failing in so many areas, and the fact is we are not investing in ourselves. I mean, that's, that is my honest belief. I mean, you cannot convince me otherwise. E- even as a former legislator 20 years ago, I could tell you that at that point in time was a critical point in time in this state's life. And there's a reason. There is a reason why 50% of the high school graduates that graduated in 2005 didn't come back because they saw no future yeah, in this I, I, state. I'm not saying we just need to cut everything. I'm just saying we need to look at yeah. what, what's what, we need to prioritize things. Uh, we, what, what are we going to do? What was because we don't have nobody yeah. has unlimited money. Well, and, and we can't print money, so we have to figure out how we're going to prioritize the money, what it's going to go to best to serve to serve this the state. Right, and and I think um, I I don't think I will say I know I know that this state needs a strong leader. This city needs a strong leader. You need a leader to tell you what's possible. You need a leader to give you hope that there is a vision, that they have a plan to make your city and your state better. That's what being a there's leader just, there's is. Just, there's really no no vision. And there's ask, no ask vision. Ask anybody, what, like, what's the vision for the next five or ten years? or 20? They, Nobody could even tell you. And and there, there is none. And there is none. And not only that, but, but it's not just this state is stagnant and dying and doesn't have a vision from its elected political leaders, but it's the fact that life continues to move on. And, you know, I learned this one thing in development is that when you lose three or four years under a governor— you don't just lose three or four years. You lose six or eight years. That's because when that person's gone, it takes you an equal amount of time just to get yeah. back to where you need to be. And let's face it, that this city and this this state hasn't had direction in a very long time. Well, right? and speaking of leader, I, I, I always go back to, I read uh, um, Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela's book. And one of the big takeaways for me in that book is, is he talked about leadership a lot and what it, what, what it meant, what it, mean to, what, what it meant to him to be a leader. And, and part of that was after apartheid, after he got out, you know, there, there was a lot of anger. There, there was a lot of um, will for score settling and basically killing the people who, you know, created the apartheid um, system. And it was, I, I don't, frankly don't blame some of those people. He knew that was not the way to go. He knew that was not going to result in a better future. And he said, sometimes a leader's job is to explain to the people 
you know, why they're wrong or, or it's not just the job of a leader. I mean, we could just have, we could all vote on things, you know, it's right. just, you know, what's the democracy, <clears throat> two wolves and a calf she, or a two sheep voting, yeah. voting on dinner, right. you know, and sometimes a leader has to explain to people, Hey, here's, here's what we're doing. Here's why it's important. Here's right. why I'm your leader. Let me be the leader. You know, and we just, I don't really see much of that happening. I, I, I don't. In, in, in the meantime, what you see is um, you see basically a concerted attempt to erode the government institutions and commissions that we rely on, right? Um, the last uh, five years under six years, however, God, it seems like a lifetime under this governor, one of the things he's most effectively done is appoint ideologues to these various commissions. So suddenly you're creating a shift in majority votes on some of these commissions and you know, LGBT protections are, 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 are you know, frittering away. Uh, you're seeing more and more the, the school districts or the administration or whatever, the activity associations rule on transgender athletes. I mean, you're seeing not only the state stagnant and dying and no vision from our political leaders, but they're wasting their time picking these political hot-button points that do nothing but take away from people, take away their rights, take away their hope, take away their ability to function in society. So you're killing the city by your lack of leadership, and you're killing the city with your policies that you're enacting. So it's a double I, I, win. You know, I, I agree there's a lot of distractions. I mean, I, I don't want to get into a big debate on that, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of on board with the transgender Boy is not. I mean, I think that's wrong. But but, but, but okay, okay. Oh, oh, I don't know if it's a problem, but oh, oh, it, it is kind oh, of okay. Coming all right, up. all right, and that's your opinion. Okay, right. That's that's a microcosm. I'm not right? sure if that'd be my my issue if I was in right. charge. No, no, no. But but you're right, and that's my point. Right. Everybody, we, we all disagree on issues. But at the end of the day, you need a governor or a mayor to look you in the eye and say, "Man, I know what this city's. I know what the problem is. I hear you. I hear you, and I'm going to make it better. And this is my plan. Mm-hmm. I mean." Okay, I'm going to give uh, Mayor Dave credit, right? Uh, and I'm going to qualify this credit, right? He came out, he created this snow plowing plan, okay? Ignore the fact that his snow plowing plan is going to put millions into the pockets of, 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 of private companies, okay? Some of which who have been longtime supporters of the mayor. So let's put that aside. But at least the guy's shown up and said, you know, hey, I got a plan. Okay, the plan, he did the same thing with the homeless shelter, which was no plan. I think the but, real plan is, please, God, don't fucking snow this year. Right, exactly. We have an election in April, and we don't need snow. Right. Um, but but it's so critical to have somebody that says, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there, and I'm going to fight for you. And having a governor that goes to the legislature and spends, as you know, spends 90, 120 days in there grinding away and saying, look, this is why I believe I, we need to fund I, education I, I, I $140 million. I wasn't here way before my time, and— you know, in both cases, but man, I just think of Wally Hickel and Jay Hammond. I mean, yeah. everything I've seen and read, and those, those, especially Jay Hammond. I mean, this guy seemed like j- j- just a, a real leader, actually. And he did a lot, and he was, he fought, he got in these fights, but he, he, he was there to advocate for the state. And, and I think he was very well, he was, you know, reelected even. And, you know, the oil, and there was all these things that were, but you just, you watch and read things, and you think, man, where, where are these like people yeah. now? Well, in, in um, I remember, uh, I think it was Bob Bob Atwood, um, and I got this quote from Ethan. Bob Atwood once said, you know, send me men to match my mountains, or send me men to match our mountains, saying send me men of great strength and courage cool. and vision, right? But we don't have men to match our mud puddles in this state, right? I look at Governor Mike Dunleavy, even the 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 Republican National Governors Conference— or Governors Association, 
ranks him as the worst economic performing governor in the, in the country. Right. So even his own people are looking at Alaska saying, uh, well, you're well, done. One of my biggest issues with, with him, and I, mean, I sued him, right? I, yeah. Yeah. Let me in. Big victory there. I'm on the one. press. Big First Amendment yeah. victory. But it's like, whether it's this idea to give, you know, use the permanent fund dividend to get some land, which I, I actually thought was a good idea. Take the dividend, buy some land. The state can finance it. You don't, you know, you buy, everybody wants land. It's so hard to get land right now to build a cabin. Or whether it's the 50-50 on the dividend or whether it's uh, the car. Like, it's just like he has these like, ideas and they kind of just go away. Right. Like there's no fault. The, 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 the land for the dividend, that kind of went away. Okay, but the 50-50 but, but, thing, that went away. But here's the thing. There's no rhyme or reason, right? Okay, let, let me take this public policy. I'm going to start to make available land so you can buy a cabin. Brilliant, right? All right. Use the dividend and then, and then okay. finance it, which, which the mental health trust right. does. With, totally cool. They have a lot of land. You can put a 10% down and they, if you can find the land, though. Got it. Yeah. Got it. If you can find the land, and once you find the land, and once enough people find the land in the same area, they're going to demand that the state put in a road. And then the next thing is they're going to demand police protection, state troopers. And the next thing they're going to demand is they're going to demand, well, we need schools. And that, those are the things that happen the next day. We always operate in the moment. And it, sometimes it's important to be in the moment. But we always operate in the morning, you know, moment. Like, let's build the bridge. You know, federal funds, let's build well, the bridge. Well, I, okay. I'm, no, thinking, no, no, of, I'm I, thinking of, like, in the I, valley, if I, you build, you know, roads out to these lakes that are out. I mean, yeah. they aren't going to need a lot of police or schools. People want to build a cabin. They want to have a little getaway and escape, which people used to be able to do in this. Right. 40, 30 years ago, you could, you could, you could work hard. Middle class, buy a couple acres, build a cabin. That was a that that is not possible anymore for right. working class people. There's lack of availability. The ones that are the prices are so high. Build all these var- you know barriers are, are there now. A lot of people who live here want to have a little getaway. I, I I totally get that. I I totally understand that. But what happens is historically, if historic if, if history is any indication of the future, and usually it is, when you go in and the state says, all right, we're going to give away land or we're going to do this, then people have higher expectations. And I think that's something that needs to be considered. However, a governor who promised to give me free land for a cabin but turns around and vetoes 50% of the education funding that hasn't had a decent raise in about eight years is not a governor. Well, it wasn't free land. It was you right? use your dividend yeah. as a down payment. You get some But, but, but I mean, that to, me finance, seem, that, to me, that to me seems less of a priority than saying, you know what, our third grade leading sc- reading scores are some of the worst in the nation. And you know what, my proposal is uh, universal pre-K in Alaska or well, something well, like they, that. They, they, they passed the Reeds Act, we'll, and we'll see how, I mean, States, yeah, uh, yeah, Mississippi yeah, yeah. and Florida passed similar yeah. acts in the past, and they, they actually were – they're very, very the, – the, the outcomes went way up. I, I, I get it, but there's there's more than just passing legislation. There's a commitment. There's funding. There's structure. There's accountability. There's all those things that go along with it, right? Um, and you don't just say – uh, I'm going to pass a piece of legislation and, you know, reading scores are going to improve. You have to you make sure your teachers are trained. You have to make sure you're, they have investments in the schools. These are the things that people do to improve and increase their educational well, what, what, performance. What would you say, and I agree with, I mean, you have to, yes, yeah. you have to spend money yeah. on these things. What would you say to people like, and, I, and I'm sympathetic to, to yeah. a lot of these arguments, we spend so much fucking money in this state on this stuff, like uh, compared to other per capita and we're not like what? What's going on? Is it the money, or is it okay. how, how it's being spent? Why aren't we getting 
better results when we spend so much money. Okay, and I have a very strong opinion about this. I mean, first off, I've heard for years, for 25 years, I've heard, oh my God, you know, the cost of student in in Alaska is like 16 grand. Okay. Uh, it's more like 18 or 19. Well, this was 25 years ago, right? I remember the, the phrase at that point in time was $16,000 per student. All right. First off, you have to factor in that some of that is federal money. Okay, federal, federal money, some of that, you know, it's, it's a range, right? So as you know, you have some students that need more assistance, you know, students that are, are, have been mainstreamed that have, you know, uh, uh, physical or, or uh, mental challenges. Those are the students that cost you $60,000, $70,000 a year. But my child who gets on the bus and goes to school and comes home, maybe the average cost there is only six or $7,000. So you have to remember that, that it's an <laughs> average. It's not every student. It's an average. And some students absorb way more resources than that. But when you look at the resources per student, okay, and you, you look at the investment, first off, you have to factor in, again, where those funds come from. It's not all Alaska funds. Then, over the last eight years, as far as a modern snapshot, you need to look at how much money we've invested in education, right? Now, I am the first one that would say they, I would agree with you that money does not equal performance, okay? But I would argue a couple of things. In the last 20 years, including the, 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 the few that I was in the legislature, we have handled education the same way. Education is always the last amount determined in the legislature, right? That's the the chit. That's the big bargaining point, right? Where Republicans and Democrats come together to feel, and I want a million in education and I want 500, and, and, and right? The, and the dividend. In the dividend, the right? One. Okay. So we have never had a serious commitment to education funding. Every single year, it is a football. Every single year or every other year, we hear the stories about pink slips going out to teachers because the funding hasn't. So you have no sustainability. You have no consistency. You have no commitment. You have a majority of the legislature today that views public schools as inferior and, in fact, over the last session, tried to divert $50 million into homeschool, right? Okay, fact. So enough legislators got together, both Republicans and Democrats this year, and said, yes. The public education school system in this state is is starving. And then you throw in COVID and inflation, boom, got to give them some money, right? Governor Dunleavy, nowhere in the 90-day session does he come to the legislature and says, yes, I'll support $140 million, or no, I'll support $100 million, or no, I'm going to go as high as 50 doesn't say a damn word. He waits for the legislature to have this torturous debate go through all these machinations as they do at the end of the session with the budget and the House and the Senate kind of playing patty cakes. And then the guy waits for the bill to get to his desk in the 11th hour vetoes 50% of the education funding. That is not a leader Of the increase. Of the increase. Of the increase. That is not a governor. If he had a fundamental disagreement with the with the number that was landed on the 140 million, he could have stated his case 120 well, yeah, there's, days there's, earlier. There's not a lot of engagement. No, there's not. And that gets back to our point no, the, the that one there thing, is the one no thing I'll leader say is, in this The first state. four years, I barely ever saw the guy. I mean, I saw him going out the back stair, stairs yeah. once in a while. Never saw him. The first, mm-hmm. now he got reelected, this first session, this last session when it started, the first day, or the, I think it was the day before session started, he was actually going around the Capitol. I saw him walking, to all, saying hi to everyone. I said, oh, maybe this is like a new new leaf here. He's actually, because I, I wasn't around when Bill Walker was governor. I was there a little bit. I wasn't doing like landmine there all the time. Bill Walker used to go and talk to, I mean, you know, I think, 
don't think Parnell was that way. Maybe I mean you. I don't know. Was was Palin? Did she go? I mean, she went around, right? Did she talk to people? Or I was in there with with Palin. Um, you just never see. You never see. But you saw him the first day, and he'd yeah. go around and say hi to everybody. But then you just kind of dis. I mean, you don't see him. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I'll ever be governor, but I was governor. I'd be fucking talking to everybody all the time. Well, and I'd be out in the that, public, you know, and, you know, and I would that, have that's a, the people I mean, you need to work with to do all this stuff. And you'd have ideas and you'd say, okay, you know, and you travel the country and you go into these some areas like the Valley and Kenai that, you know, by late, by, you look at the polls and, you know, these are the folks that you have to convince about state investment. And, you know, if I'm Mike Dunleavy, I'm traveling the state, I'm saying, look, I got a, I got elected as a conservative, but the bottom line is this state's dying and, it, and it's going to continue to die unless you have additional state investment. You don't have the capacity. See, the difference between Seattle and Portland and Boise and L.A. and San Francisco is they have an economy. They have a broad-based economy. So one company moves out, another finds a reason to move in. No, no, no. Well, well, it's, so, not here. It's interesting you say that because Bill, Bill Wilkowski once told me um, sometimes it takes a different, it, it takes a unique kind of person. Sometimes it takes a Republican to, to reform, let's say, oil, oil, oil tax type. You need a Republican messenger on that. To do anything with like medic, Medicare or, or education, you need a, you need a Democrat. That like Bill Walker was able to do a lot of things yeah. because of who he was and who he was supporting him. And sometimes a person is in a position to to, to do something big because of who they are. That's right. And, it's and, and, it's and, called. And he, he could, there's a lot of things he could do I, because I have, of who he is. I have but, lived. I have lived by this philosophy my whole life, just simply because of the business I grew up in and growing up, you know, managing a brand that advertises we try harder. Right. That's the entire brand of my company is we try harder. So my whole entire life, my professional life, there is something I call a moment of opportunity, a moo, a moment of opportunity. When you are governor or you are mayor, you have a moment of opportunity every single day you are in office to look at somebody and say, this is my plan. This is my vision. This is where we're going. You have every day to do that moment of opportunity to, to, to look into your constituents' eyes and say, I'm taking this city forward. Not explaining the latest controversy or blaming the assembly because they're a bunch of San Francisco liberals. No, I'm talking about taking responsibility for failures in projecting a positive future. Where are we going? Where is this state going to be in five years, like you said? Have an understanding. Have a vision. But that lacks in this city, and it lacks in this state. And what we get at the end of the day is we're the ones. We're the ones that have to live with the outcome. We're the ones that have to live in a city where there are currently, what, two job openings to every one employer. Oh, we're, yeah, we're all holding the fucking back. Right? I mean, I hear you. You know, but, but this is the case. And until the public finally turns the page and, and, and says to themselves, there is a better way. There is a reason why... Seattle and Boise and all of these cities have cranes and investment and people are moving there. There is a reason for that. And obviously, we are not offering those same things. Again, I'm going to circle back to Bill Pop, and I will make this statement. I have, I, I, I have not formally supported anybody in the mayor's race, but Bill Pop, I am looking at Bill Pop for the next couple of months to see what kind, how he can embed his message in the public. Well, I think, you know, he's, we'll see how this rate, I mean, we'll see what the result of this rate. It's going to be here in That's April, right. but it's going to start heating up here in a few months. And and, we're we're going to see the, the, the divisions of the, the you know, ideas these people have and candidates have where, where we're going to end up. And I will tell you that, you know, one of the reasons why, uh, uh, you know, Bill Pop captures my imagination is not only have I worked with Bill 
and know that there is nobody I've met that has a greater commitment to this city. But this is a gentleman that has spent 16 years, okay, doing a couple of things, 16 years traveling around this country and this world and seeing what vibrant, productive, growing cities look like. And he's gone out to all of these places like Oklahoma City and Boise and all over these places, and he's seen the formula that works in these these communities and how the economic growth and the investments that need to be made. He has been there and seen all of these crown jewels and come back home and said, this is what I want my city to be. But unfortunately, over the last decade or so, he has struggled because the city and the state have retracted resources. You cannot go out and sell an old pair of tennis shoes compared standing next to somebody who has a brand new pair of uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Prada, right? You just can't do that. You have to have a product that competes in the marketplace. And for 16 years, Bill Pop has not had that. And I want that energy. I want that vision. I want something to just show up and say, you know what? For 16 damn long years, I have gone from city to city. I have gone to conference after conference. I have seen what successful cities look like. I have seen what growing populations and growing economies look like. That's what I want. And when people tell me, well, you, you know what? Bill Pop doesn't have any political experience. Look, okay. Well, no, um, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was on the Kenai Assembly. But, but there's more than that. He was on the Assembly. But this is a guy. And this is what people, this is what some folks don't get about about nonprofits and groups like the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce or the, the Anchorage uh, Economic Development Corporation. You are the president of an organization where you answer to about two or three dozen board members, mm-hmm. right? And these are constituents, these are board members that show up once a month and tell you how to run your organization, okay? And when you are tasked with running an organization and, and doing economic development in a city where all of the political winds, both local and statewide, are blowing against you, it's a pretty damn hard job. And then you factor in that you have 35 different unique personalities and egos, and I would argue that being president of the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce or being uh, a president of the, uh, of the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation is just as demanding and just as politically strenuous as being mayor of the community. But you don't have 300,000 people you're leading. But I would say that when I look at Bill Pop over the last 16 years, I've looked at the organization he's run, I've looked at the board structure he had to deal with, and I've looked at his education and his love and his passion for this city. That's what I want in a candidate. I want somebody who's angry that wants cranes in this city, that wants streets that are plowed, that wants a top-notch education system, that wants affordable housing. That's what I want. You sound like a Bill Pop guy. No, I mean, I haven't made up my mind, but but he's like the guy I think we need. Well, I think it'll, you know, we're going to be doing some stuff with these candidates in this Yeah, and, and it's early. The, it's, the it's filing early. deadline's in, in J- until J- February. January, yeah, Is it January? Into January. Yeah, yeah into January. Yeah. Well, we, we've been going a couple hours, so it's yeah. probably a good, right. wow. probably yeah. maybe yeah. my longest Holy podcast smokes. ever. Yeah, yeah, this has been good. Legend. Yeah. An hour and 45 minutes. You know, two, two, two hours and seven. Oh, two hours. I, I got the little recorder here. Yeah. Well, Andrew Helker, it's been a pleasure. I always like talking to you. So many good things we discussed. Good to see you. This, keep us updated on this Clarkson yeah, Mathias situation because yep. that, that's pretty disturbing and also fascinating. And I'll do this. Uh, if you ever yep. want to give me the letter, I'd be happy to publish that sucker. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it will come out, you know. But but right now I am taking these allegations very seriously. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not going to talk about the allegations, and I'll address those with Mr. Clarkson. And you know, God forbid if he wants to take this any further, 
uh, he can deal we'll, with. We'll, we'll, he can we'll, deal with who he deals with. We'll be with. watching. Great yeah. conversation. Yeah. Always no, like talking. It is. To it's really, always really appreciate yeah. it. We'll see you. All right. We'll have you on again. Okay. All right. Cool. You look appreciate good. It. Thank Take you. Care. You too. Yeah. Likewise, right. my, my man, my yeah. man, my man. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.